Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we finish our series on deconstructing the Star Wars films with a look at Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Matt, we finally made it to Rise of Skywalker. We've been hinting at this for a while. Yeah. And now we get to unleash our <laughs> thoughts on The Rise of Skywalker. So uh, why don't we start with just some overall thoughts and then we'll, we'll kind of jump in. Sounds good. So for me, you know, the first the first thing that I want to say is that while rewatching this film, a lot of the things that bothered me, and there there are a lot of things that bother me, they aren't necessarily related to the actual skill level of of um, Abrams or the people working on the film. And what I mean by that is the editing was was fine, the composition was fine, the basic building blocks of of kind of what we talk about like the cinematic language felt fine and i kept coming back to essentially narrative problems and and those were the things that truly bothered me i think this is a well put together movie um i i don't think it's very good and that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight um and so i i really wanted to to kind of go through this movie in kind of a, a narrative order, which we don't always necessarily do. Um, and sometimes it works out that way because we, we start talking about the cinematography and sometimes there's something at the beginning that grabs us. Um, this episode, I, I really want to talk about narrative, the structure, uh, setup and payoff. I was trying to think of an, an analogy to put this in. And I don't know if, I, I'm sure this has happened to everyone at some point where you go to a restaurant with a big group of people and someone doesn't get their food. They, they're like the last person to get their food when you're in a, a restaurant. And you're, you're like sitting around and you're looking at everyone else get their food and you're starving and you see everyone else's food and you're like, oh, that looks really good. And you keep waiting and waiting and your food doesn't come. And it's like all this setup of seeing all the delicious food that all the other people at your table get, but there's no payoff of you getting your food. And that's what this movie felt like was there was a lot of, of moments where, oh, that's really cool. I like that. But then there was no deeper purpose behind it. There was no thematic meaning behind it. There was, it was just a letdown. It was just disappointing. And I will have to, I do have to say, you know, Craig and I have talked about this movie quite a bit just on our own since we watched it. And uh, I have felt pretty firmly that this was a very bad movie. Uh, from the very beginning, and, and Craig, I'll let you talk more about your own feelings. But you, you know, you've you've kind of had a, a a back and forth relationship with the film. I will say though that uh, this this time viewing it, I, I wasn't quite as bothered by it. It felt more watchable to me. I still noticed a lot of the problems. I still don't think it's a good movie, but I wasn't worked up about how bad it was. I wasn't as as emotionally charged, I guess, rewatching it this time. And I don't know if that's just because enough time has, has passed since that first initial slap in the face in the theater, but it is what it is. What are, what are your overall thoughts? Yeah, I, I kind of had a similar reaction where I, I came in going, all right, this is going to be the one that is horrible and let's just unload on it. And I found myself actually kind of enjoying it. I think that most of my problems, this is why I'm interested in, in doing, you know, kind of go 
beginning of the film to the end is that most of my problems with the film are at the end. Hmm. Uh, some some of my first thoughts though is is as I'm looking at this movie and, and, and watching it and the opening crawl comes up and I'm thinking, first off, why don't we get to hear the broadcast? Because I don't play Fortnite and that's where it premiered, which is a bizarre thing in my opinion, bizarre it, choice. It, and you're talking about uh, the broadcast. Could you explain that real quick? Sure, sure. The the uh, the Palpatine broadcast to the galaxy that, hey, I'm back, right? This is the thing that sets off uh, Kylo on his quest to to figure out if this is for real and if Palpatine's out there. And, it, you know, the, the crawl basically explains his, you know, the threat to, to Kylo Ren's power. And that's what he's on this quest for. And that's why he goes to Mustafar and find the Wayfinder and whatnot. And so one, like, why didn't we get to hear it? I would have liked to have heard it. And ideally, the best place to hear it would have been at the end of the last Jedi. And that was like one of my first thoughts watching this time is how great of a cliffhanger would that have been if we would have had to wait two years and go, is this for real to have that debate? I mean, that's the thing that we had not so much with the prequel trilogy, but I do remember with the original trilogy was, is Darth Vader Luke's father? Let's wait. We have to talk about this for three years. What's going to happen? You know, and just those, I mean, even with, you know, little things like, you know, the year gap between infinity war and Endgame. there's a little bit of a, well, what's going to happen? Who's going to come back? Who's really dead? Who's not? You have those, you know, the chance for those, uh, those discussions. But this movie is so disconnected from the Last Jedi, and really, the Last Jedi is so disconnected from Episode Seven and Episode Nine that I feel like it, it suffers from not being able to have that. It could have been—it's a small thing, right? We could, if we could have had that tweak, that little cliffhanger at the end of Eight, just a little bit, even like—I mean, I know Star Wars doesn't typically do post-credit scenes. Uh, but something like that, just to kind of let it linger and go, hey, there's something bad out there, and then to build on it because it just drops you in. And I love the beginning. I think the beginning is great. Watching Kylo go through and just slicing dudes up and Mustafar. Again, I wish they would have been more clear that it was Mustafar. Like, really, you have to find that in some of the supplemental material. But it's a great, I mean, the cinematography in that first scene, even in slow motion, is phenomenal. And I love the little callback to. It's very much an Indiana Jones thing, right? Where he finds the map. The Wayfinder is essentially a map. And then it does a jump cut to his starship going through the the void, trying to get to Exegol. And all that works for me. But I'm like, if only you would have seeded that a little bit before, I think it would have been much more powerful. And I think that's really interesting because it seems clear to me now that this trilogy was not planned out before. And it was not... Or if it was, there there was miscommunication, there was mishandling somewhere in between uh, seven, eight, and nine. Like it feels very uh, disconnected and disjointed, like you were saying. And it's it's so frustrating to get something that really should be a very important part of a lot of people's kind of you know cultural lives. And it, it kind of feels like it got fumbled a little bit. Yeah. I, I, another thing with that, that, that very same point I had was that, you know, Poe, the, the, the relationship between Poe and Finn and the, um, you know, the chemistry between those two actors, between Oscar Isaac and, and John Boyega is great. Like, I love those guys together. I would have liked to have seen those guys more together. And I would have liked to have seen them with Daisy Ridley through three films because they kind of, there's almost like a shorthand that they want you to have understood, right? When they when they show back up after the light skipping thing, light speed skipping thing, which we can need to talk about and come back to that in just a second. 
is there's clearly a, a relationship there. There's a history there, but we've not seen any of it, right? So we're supposed to just, oh, okay, this is kind of how they banter and, you know, this is how they kind of don't get along and, you know, Poe's always angry and it's kind of those inside jokes, but we're not in on the jokes because we've not been around. Yeah. You know, and I can't help but compare that to like Return of the Jedi when you get Han, Luke, and Leia back together on Endor and Han says, hey, it's me. And we're like, yeah, we know exactly how that's going to go. This is the guy who ran down the hallway chasing stormtroopers and then ran back the other way. Right? We have that. Whereas here, it's like, I can kind of picture where it is, but we've never seen that. In the and way- so there's all... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's all these things that I know what I'm supposed to feel, but I can't quite get there. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I highlighted that moment too, because for me, it felt like set up that has no payoff later in the film because you, you get that there's this kind of tension between the three of them. Not so much Finn and Ray. They seem to be kind of close together and, and Poe seems kind of distant. And he's, he has that kind of argument with, with Ray at the beginning, but then that never really pays off in any kind of, there's no closure to that. Like, why are they arguing? Why is Poe always upset? And that never comes back up really in the film. It, they have arguments later on, but it's never resolved. And that's kind of what bothered me. And which is also connected to uh, Finn and his his secret that he never ends up revealing, which I want to talk about later. Yeah. But, but a quick uh, note that I had is I tried really hard in this film to highlight things that I did like. Because overall, I don't like the film. But it's also frustrating and disappointing because there were things I did like. Uh, Exegol, I think uh, aesthetically, is very interesting. Um, with the, uh, I will say the lighting and the lightning was too much. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just too much flashing and it, it got on my nerves. And I will say that this movie, I feel like I have more nitpicks than I do with other films. And I try not to nitpick films, but I'm going to on this one because I, there were too many of them. It was yeah. death by a million paper cuts for me. Uh, so other than the lighting, I quite liked the uh, the music, kind of the ambiance, the atmosphere of Exegol. Um, I found it extraordinary that they brought Palpatine back and just hand-waved away the explanation of it. We saw him get tossed down a shaft in a bottomless pit and explode in Return of the Jedi. He's dead, or he should be dead. And the line they say is something to the effect of uh, one of his prequel lines, uh, the many, the dark side has many powers that many we consider to be unnatural. Right. You know, and it's just like, okay, Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Such as? (laughs) And I think like, okay, we know there's cloning. So it's like, okay, that could be, you know, a valid reasoning. And this, I feel like it's getting a little nitpicky, but it just, it feels like it, it kind of retcon, not retcon, but it, it reduces the impact of Return of the Jedi in a way. And, you know, it doesn't diminish Vader's sacrifice. So that's awesome. But it just feels like that was so wrapped up so neatly. And, we, you know, we talked about it not that long ago. The ending of Return of the Jedi is one of my favorites. And this, it just felt so out of left field. 
like the emperor's coming back? Like, why? <laughs> why? Why are you bringing him back? And and that was one of the major points. And Dan brought this up too uh, in our episode about the Last Jedi. This trilogy is really about Kylo as the bad guy. He he is the villain. And, you know, there's a question of whether he gets redeemed or not, but it's his story. And this movie says, no, it's not really, he's not, he's not the villain, you know, in a way that it it, it just reduces the most interesting character in this trilogy. It it takes him down a notch, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the things I I really like uh, in that opening scene is I really like the voiceover work where the voice changes from Palpatine to Snoke to Vader. I think that's very effective. It's very cool, very creepy. Uh, but I agree that, that it does. It's very hand, it's literally hand wavy. Uh, we, we quoted a line from you know episode three and patted ourselves on the back for that. But I, I wanted to hear more about that. And, and I, you know, I don't know how much of the supplemental material that you've read on this one. I've read quite a bit. I read the novelization. I've read the Star Wars book, which is canon, as Dan told us. Uh, I've read the Visual Dictionary, just looking for more about how this happened. And it's not there. Literally, at this point, no one has said, here's how it happened. Here's what he did. There's like one throwaway line in the, I shouldn't say nothing. There's a little bit. In this novelization, there's like one throwaway line about him transferring his essence to a clone body. Like, that's it. But there's no, here's how it happened. Here's the precedence for this. Here's what he'd been planning. It's very, just take our word for it. We do get one more line. Uh, Beaumont Kin, the, the character that Dominic Moynihan plays, mentioned something about, you know, cloning and the Sith and oh, secrets only the Sith knew and, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's but the really same hand wavy. Yeah, in the film, yeah. right, which we've talked about before, you shouldn't have to go look it up and figure it out. In the film, we literally have a quote from Revenge of the Sith and the line from Beaumont Kin, and that's all we get. Yeah. Uh, and and that's Pippin, right? Or is that, yeah. or is that Mary? No, it's Pippin. Okay. Uh, that's, that's Mary. It's Mary, okay. Mary from Lord of the Rings, Mary. yeah. yeah. Um, and Charlie from Lost, <laughs> which is really, I mean, that's the, the J.J. Abrams Mary, connection. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. And, and I, I do want to say this because after uh, Snoke died in The Last Jedi, there was some discussion online about, well, you know, where did Snoke come from? How did he build up the First Order? And I that didn't bother me as much. And I kind of wanted to explain that a little bit because for me, Snoke is a new character. And while I would find background on him and his rise interesting, what upsets me is that Palpatine was dead. <laughs> Very, very clearly, the movie yeah. established that he was dead. And it's just, it's like death doesn't matter anymore, you know? And uh, we kind of have precedence with that in J.J. Abrams' film uh, from Star Trek. Was it, is it right. Into Darkness? Into when, Darkness, yeah. When uh, Super Blood. Uh, Kirk dies, but then he doesn't. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just just inject him with some Super Blood. That doesn't just, matter. We've cured death. Yes. Yeah, I mean, full movie franchises. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I know we'll get to this again, but now would be a good time as any to mention how many fake deaths there are There's in this too film. Too many. <laughs> well, really, one is probably too many, but there are several, right? It starts with a fake death, and then of course you've got Chewie and Ray and Ben and yes, to some degree Han. I don't know. I mean, it's 
That was a lot. And I, and I want to hold off on that just for a little bit. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll come back to that. But that is a, another major gripe that I have. There were some, I do want to point out, um, as we're moving slowly forward, uh, I do want to talk about the light skipping thing a little bit. Yeah, I, think we're I do too. Probably there. Um, but before I get to there, one thing I do really like is the, it's called the Sinta Glacier Colony, which I just think that shot is breathtakingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I remember us looking at that and going like, is it, you know, uh, is it on water and it's reflected? I couldn't quite tell, which is super cool. But I think that's a great environment. It's a new and new type of environment. We've seen snow and stuff before, but never like inside a glacier. I thought that was great. That whole opening sequence is a lot of fun. Like we mentioned earlier, just about, you know, the rapport between uh, Poe and Finn, and then they got Chewbacca thrown in the mix and they're a great team. Like I would, would have liked more of that in the film, more of that kind of stuff. Uh, but then, you know, they get out and then there's the light skipping thing, light speed skipping. And I don't have a problem necessarily with the fact that they're jumping to light speed and stopping as much. I know, you know, we've established early on that, you know, you could bounce too close to a supernova and all the stuff. Han gave us the rules. You know, it's not like dust and crops, boy. I'm willing to go with, you know, it's a desperate move, but how the heck are the TIE fighters following them? <laughs> that I don't understand. That's not touched on at all. Are we supposed to believe that they have the same kind of stuff that the First Order had in Last Jedi? But that seemed like that was a whole lot more complicated. It was on a command ship and all this stuff, and now we're just hand wavy. They're just coming with us. Because you're talking about like a, they're obviously not big enough for like a tracking beacon or something. Right. And, and if you're going to do that, if you're going to say they have a tracking beacon, then go, hey, they must have tracking beacons. I'm going to have to keep doing this. So it's there's a lot of... I hate to keep going back to the hand wavy thing, but just trust us, mm-hmm. even though you're kind of breaking Star Wars. Well, and and I want to talk about that a little bit too, because you know this this is a very reactive film, and it, it kind of reacts to the previous movies in Star Wars, and it references those other movies. Um, but with the light ski, light speed skipping. A lot of people were really upset at the hold-on maneuver because, well, if you can just do the hold-on maneuver and light speed ram into a big ship, why aren't it? Why isn't everyone doing that? You know, it breaks Star Wars. Why don't you just hold-on maneuver through the Death Star, which I think has some validity to it. But then it's just like in this film, light speed jumping just completely forgets or ignores like you said han's rules of the light speed where it's not like dusting crops han and uh, luke and obi-wan were in a desperate situation uh in a new hope running away from the death star why didn't they light speed skip then like like you know there's tons of situations where that could have been used but they didn't in literally the same ship too right yeah and so it's just like it, it it doesn't sound as dangerous as Han makes it sound in A New Hope, is it? So yeah. I, guess, I guess we're just getting rid of that. Yeah. It doesn't, you know, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Two, I mean, it looks cool. <laughs> two little points about the music. Um, when the TIE Fighters come in in that scene, uh, I, I think they're playing some, like, of uh, Palpatine's Emperor's music when the TIE Fighters come in. And they might be, because one thing I noticed is there is a lot of the Emperor's theme in this film. Yeah. And a lot of it when he's not on screen. Right. Which is, it. it's just a different 
interesting choice for uh, so early in the film because Kylo is still the supreme leader. And although it seems that he's working with Palpatine, we kind of also find out that he's planning on just, you know, betraying him. Uh, and then they also, uh, I saw this pointed out, um, right when they make that final light speed skip, they are playing the music from the Death Star Destruction, which is interesting choice there too. Because that's kind of taking, you know, we've talked about how music is the emotion of the film. And they're using that kind of final end piece. Uh, I, th I think it's from the first destruction of the Death Star. I'm not entirely sure. But it's like they're kind of using that emotional beat of finality and drama in this little moment here, which is like the intro piece of the film. And I was just, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed a little odd. I will say, though, that when they get back and we finally get to uh, Rey, I do like the fact that Leia is her Jedi Master. Um, I think that's something that's a little overdue um, in the sense that, uh, you know, it's pretty pretty clearly established that Leia is Force-sensitive at the end of the original trilogy, and we don't really see her using it much. We talked about her scene in The Last Jedi, uh, but really we, we find out that she was like a fully trained Jedi, and it just seems a little weird to me that she doesn't use it more. Like we see Luke and other force users use it way more often than Leia does. You know what I mean? Yeah, that kind of speaks to the, the little bit of the disjointed whether I had a plan or didn't have a plan mm -hmm. thing. You know, it's like maybe it would have been the, the plan to have Luke survive until the end of this film and still be the mentor figure there to still train her. But now that he's not around... You know, even though he's a force ghost, they're not like they're on call all the time. They pop in and out as, as they go. And so, I mean, that is one of the things I have to give props to the filmmakers is that they did find a way to include Carrie Fisher in this film. Um, she's great in the film. It is interesting. If, if you go back and you look at the deleted scenes on Force Awakens, you can find most of the scenes that they've repurposed. That's kind of trippy. Um, but I think they did, a, honestly, in an impossible situation, I think they did a really good job yeah. putting her in there. And one of the things that I do like about this film, um, and there are lots of things I like about this film, but one thing I do like, I do like the flashback scene. I think that's a very powerful thing uh, that we get um, when Ray's talking to Luke uh, on Octo. Uh, and they get to see her actually using a lightsaber. And it kind of fleshes that out that, yeah, she was fully on that path. And I think they did a better job in that. Just one little sequence of explaining why she doesn't show up fully Jedi master in Force Awakens. Like, that's kind of a question that I'd had for a while. And it was like, okay, I get that. I didn't get any of that. I didn't feel uh, as resolved about that through any of the books that I've read until I got to that. And I was like, okay, that makes sense but why she it? would choose that. <laughs> for me, it, well, for me, it does. I mean, she's a Skywalker. She's going to be pretty emotional. Um, but just, you know, I chose politics over being a Jedi. I'm like, yeah, but why? Well, if I was going to, you know, my kid was going to die. Okay. I mean, we've seen Anakin make huge, this person's going to die decisions. So yeah, that kind of worked it, for me. It doesn't work for me. See, I, I do <laughs> agree that I love the flashback right up until that moment at the end when, when Luke says, yeah, she was on her final day of training and then she gave it all up because she had a vision that, that Ben would die. And that seems really weak to me. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> Isn't there a line in, in the movie where it uh, it talks about how, like, Jedi face their fears? 
Doesn't Luke say that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's in like in that same scene. Yeah. Or like a little bit later on. Yeah. It's in that same conversation. I'm not in that part of my notes, so I don't quite remember. But it's like, so facing your fear that your child might die, but it's like you're going to give up as being a <laughs> Jedi. It seems like you're not facing your fear. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. a good master would be like, no. You know, like, how is being a Jedi going to, like make Ben die. That doesn't right. make any sense. I can understand. I could buy going the politics route because it would make sense with her background with Bail Organa being such a big part of the Senate and him being essentially, you know, a very, very minor character, but a very heroic character in the prequel trilogy. Cause he is one of the few senators who actually tries to stand up for democracy with Padme and tries to defend the Republic and kind of fails, but but not for lack of, of trying. And so it makes sense to me her kind of taking her father's adopted father's route of using politics to affect change. I, I don't know. That felt like another hand wavy moment to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, see, was, she was scared Ben would die. <laughs> well, well, another piece of that too is you talked about her adopted father. Well, what about her? You know, her biological father, where is he in all this? We know he's a force ghost. And that's one of my biggest gripes with the sequel trilogy as a whole, is that we never get Hayden Christensen as a force ghost. Like in like invisibly. We we get his voice a little bit at the end, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But what you're what you're saying there just it sparked a, something in my mind that, you know, if if that's the concern, and I brought and I brought it up, but then I was like, I didn't think about it until you said that, you know, I'm gonna lose some, I'm afraid of someone dying. So I'm going to make this choice. Mm-hmm. Who better to answer that question than Hayden Christensen show up and go, yeah. hey, daughter, <laughs> let me tell you something. I've Here's what I path. did. <laughs> I've been, I know, I've been where you are. Yeah. Why, well, that to me makes so much narrative sense. Why do you not have that? It's like, I don't know why they were, and I don't know if they were afraid to do this, why they made the choice to never incorporate that incredible wealth of knowledge. I mean, he's been, the guy's been through guy's been through a lot. He's got a lot of wisdom to share. You would have thought at some point he would have talked to Luke. And we see him at Endor. That's basically, I mean, I've always read that as in Return of the Jedi is like, there's going to be more of this coming. You know, and I know some of that's probably from, you know, reading some of the early expanded universe novels where like uh, uh, Heir to the Empire, where mm-hmm. Kenobi is still communicating with Luke. And then at one point he's like, "I got, I got to take off. I got to go. <laughs> I need a vacation. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> there's, a, <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff in those books, but you know that that relationship continued. I don't see why. I can't think of a legitimate reason why. You know, after I just saw you with my own eyes, I would like to have a relationship with you. I'm not gonna be hanging out and helping you become more, or just hang out and talk. Mm-hmm. So it's just an odd." choice to not have that yeah i mean as as fan servicey as this movie is and it's very fan servicey that would have been something i would have liked to have seen yeah i i will always forgive fan service if it is motivated by the characters or by the story and i feel like that would make a lot of sense what you're saying having anakin come in and say i've been down this path it's not you know and try and, and and teach that, you know, kind of like how Obi-Wan does as a force goes and Luke. Um, 
one of the lines I, I really did like, and again, I'm, you know, I tried to find the, the nuggets that really stood out to me as things I did enjoy. Um, Ray says the line that uh, I will go, it's what you would do uh, when she's talking to Leia about going to find the Sith Wayfinder. And I thought that was just like a really good line. It shows a little bit of character. It shows that she has a relationship with Leia and that they have kind of gotten to know each other. So I thought that was really nice. Um, but speaking of lines, I think it is a travesty that Mary has more lines than Rose in this movie. <laughs> it, Mary, blows, back to little... it blows yeah. my mind <laughs> that they basically relegate Rose to an extra. Yeah. Like you, you would barely know who she is if this movie was what you were going off of. She was a major character in The Last Jedi. Yeah. She had her own leitmotif. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's not a small thing. No. You know? But here's what really bothered me this time around is in the few lines that she does have, right? At the beginning, because um, I think Rose uh, or, or Ray asks Rose to come with her, right? Right. Yeah. And, and she basically says no. And she says that she needs to study the plans of the old Star Destroyers just in case we find them, right? Meaning yeah. like that she's going to look for a weak point. That's more of that setup I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that has no payoff. And the payoff was there. Right. Because Finn and uh, Janna are on the Star Destroyer and they essentially take out the, the lead ship. That setup was for Rose, I feel like. Where it's like she studied the plans to know what to destroy and what to blow up. But they don't use her in that way. Yeah. I mean, they do talk about going at the the cannons, right? They, the cannons, that they're like the world-destroying cannons at the end. But that's not even her that brings that up, right? No. I think it's Poe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I know, and we, we have a, a mutual friend uh, who isn't the biggest fan of Rose. He has no problem with the way she was portrayed uh, by Kelly Marie Tran, but it's just the way the character was written, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't really agree, but that's fine. But it's like even he, I think, would, wouldn't want her completely cut out of the next movie. It, he would want, you know, in his opinion, a better written part for her, you know, want more of Rose in a, in a more active role, something along those lines. Um, one idea I saw floating around was having Rose go talk to the other leaders in the galaxy and try to convince them to back the the new rebellion. Yeah, to, to like to go with Lando and Chewie at the end. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then actually show that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's some stuff we could have cut and showed that part. Or like you know, like I said, have her be the one that knows the plans, the Death Star, so she comes in at the end and helps them. You know, yeah. Here, that, here's where here's where the antenna thing is that we need to blow up. Here's how we get there. What do you think about Rose? I like Rose fine. It is it is funny that she's barely in the film. Like not haha funny, but kind of right. ironic. Yeah. Um, and it's you know she honestly she just shouldn't even be in the movie as little as she's in the movie. Like if you you're gonna have her in yeah. the movie, have her in the movie. Yeah, but it, it it's feels almost more it's almost more insulting to have her in the amount. That this she's is what in. I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, it's like no, well, little token. Here you go. <laughs> you know, you're in. We we had her in there. See, now you can't get mad at us. We had yeah. her in there, but yeah, she doesn't do anything. And it no. is every time I see that part when she's you know, like, I think it's Finn. It's like you need to go with her. He's like, no, I need to stay. I'm like, but why? Can yeah. you not like take your laptop with you? 
can't like, Mary study this earnest Like <laughs> You keep calling him Mary. It's hilarious. He's a hobbit, right? Yeah, he is a hobbit. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, he's no, he's a historian. He doesn't do the technical stuff. That that's I find even, out. That's even better. I, <laughs> a historian who should know how to interpret the old Star Destroyer. Well, yeah. And he's and he is stealing like her, you know, all of her good lines and stuff. She, he, yeah. You know, if he was not in the film, she would have had a lot, whole lot more to do. And even even in a sense, I think Jana takes Rose's role a little bit. Sure. And yeah. I actually like Jana, and I'll talk about this later. So it's not that I don't want her in the film, but it just feels like these other characters who are new to Rise of Skywalker cannibalize the screen time and the lines and the actions that probably should have been Rose's because she's a character that we know from the last film. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there is, there's a lot of characters, but I don't think they're really being used all that well. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's one thing I was going to bring up earlier too. Is, you know, there is there is a novel that set in between Last Jedi and and Rise of Skywalker, Resistance Reborn, uh, and it's not very good, in my opinion. And one of the things that the biggest problems I had with it is that Ray is barely in it. Like they didn't even address the whole like, well, how is Ray going to be, you know, deal her burgeoning Jedi-ness, how is that going to happen? And her getting to know, like her and Poe, like that relationship, we talked about that a little bit before. Um, getting even to see that in print, you know, that, that kind of head-butting thing uh, that they seem to have in this film, that's not in the book. So even if that would have happened, and it was released before the movie too, it would have been, if I had read that before, then it would have been, okay, yeah, this is the relationship that I've seen. This is that same evolution of that. But it's not at all. So just another, I guess I'm just kind of piling on a little bit at this point. Um, but, you know, having a whole myriad of characters and giving them equal things to do, equal screen time, you know, the only thing I can think of right now is, say, like in an Avengers movie, and as much as Joss Whedon has several issues, he did a great job in like the first Avengers movie of giving everybody yeah. something significant to do where you were invested in them. Everybody had a moment to shine, yeah. and you just don't have that kind of equality in this film. No, I mean, and that actually I think is a, a great uh, example to to you know take a look at. That would be like you know Hawkeye in the, that first Avengers film. Imagine Hawkeye with the amount of lines and screen time that Rose had. He'd barely be in it. Like you wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't even really be an Avenger, would he? So yeah, I actually think that's a, a good. Good, um, good example. So, do you want to just go ahead and move on to? We're going to Pasana. We want to move just yeah. Kind of actually, that's exactly thing? what I was I was thinking. Uh, because I I think the festival is fun. It's a cool Star Warsy thing. Uh, the little alien kids are really cute. My wife loves them. A little shout out to my wife because uh, she's listening and she was upset that she hasn't had a shout out yet. Um, but when the little kid comes up to Ray. And ask her what her family name is. I feel like that's a little bit of setup as well. And she says, just Ray, which I think is a beautifully thematic line. Because, you know, part of the story here and part of what Abrams and company are reaching for, in my opinion, are, I should say, is this like, it's this belief that you can be whoever you want to be. There doesn't have, you know, you don't have to be. Um, a Skywalker or a Palpatine or whoever, right? You don't have to be Vader just because you're Vader's kid. There's a separation. You are your own person. 
And I think that line, actually, just Rey, thematically matches up quite well with what The Last Jedi was trying to do. And then they flush it down the toilet later in the film. And we'll get to that later. But I I really like that line. I think it's it's fantastic. Um, you know, and the the action and stuff in Pisana, I think, is good. I, I think a lot of the, like I kind of said at the beginning, there's a lot in this, I shouldn't say a lot, but the action in the film is just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I think it's it's the deeper stuff. I will say I love seeing Lando. I think uh, Billy Dee Williams, it's just fun seeing him in the film and kind of having him come back uh, and, and having him rescue them at Pisana is is a fun moment. Yeah, I, I don't really like the the dancing festival thing. That kind of drives me nuts. <laughs> and I feel like that's that's the canto bite for me. Like, mm-hmm. usually you're taking way too much time with that. And I know like it's spent, they spent a lot of money and a big part of their budget with that. And I'm just like, I just don't care. I, I do... I agree with you that the you know the the theme of just Ray that whole motif I think is is brilliant. I, I personally prefer that as well. And if it's kind of a roundabout way to get there, but I do like that they do it. They don't again. They don't really pay off on that. They kind of think they do, but I don't think they do either. Um, I think that some of the action sequences on Pasana though are fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, composition wise. A lot of it's very reminiscent of uh, the pod race, which I think is is great. Some of the angles you get, especially like there's a extreme high angle where they're kind of going through the canyon, which very much like you can almost just transpose Anakin and Sebulba through there. I think that's great. Um, I think it's a fun action sequence with the even you know even with the the jet troopers. You know they fly now three times. I think that's great. I think it's fun. Um, and even you know the first couple times I watched them, like really they're just gonna kind of crash land right underneath where that little, you know, land speeder is and find the dagger. I have less of a problem this time as I watched it. Like, it kind of made sense. They knew where they were going. They were heading toward Ochi's ship. They got directions from Lando. So it's not that big a coincidence that they, I mean, I was okay with it. I mean, it's a coincidence, but it didn't yeah. bother me that they landed in the same place. They got caught in the same, you know, sinking fields that Ochi did. Yeah. So it just kind of like, all right. I mean, we have to have a little bit of a suspension of disbelief. Sus- exactly. Yeah. But I, I was like, it's not that big of a leap no. for them to have ended up in the same place. So for some reason, I'd had a problem with that earlier. And this time I was like, I'm good with it. And again, the earlier in the film, the less problems I had this time. <laughs> and, well, I think that's kind of how I felt too, where it's like, it felt like the edges were kind of sanded off a little bit. You know, some of the things that bothered me didn't bother me quite as much. I will say though that there's more setup that doesn't get payoff when they're in that sinking field. And Finn goes, Ray, I have to tell you. And then he sinks. And they bring it up like two or three times afterward, Yep. at least. And it's like, what are you going to say, Finn? What are you going to say, Finn? And he's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you. What do you think before finding anything else out? What did you think like the first time you saw it? What was Finn going to, to say? I thought he was going to say, I love you. That's exactly what I thought. That that's was my what first instinct. Everybody thought because that's yeah. what they were doing. <laughs> and, and and you don't have Rose here because you put her back on yeah. Agent Agent Claus. She's not there, so she's not going to find out. Um, so that seemed to be where that relationship was going. One hundred percent. And then it's not. Yeah. Well, apparently, from 
I don't, I don't know. It's, it can't be canon, right? Because this was just an interview that Abrams did after the film. Uh, but for those know. who don't know, <laughs> head, head cannon maybe. <laughs> for those who don't know, Abrams did an interview after the film came out and said that um, Finn's secret was that he was force sensitive. But that makes no sense. You mean that he would say that, or that he yeah. is? Yeah, that he would. That, oh yeah, that no. That, that, gonna, my my dying wish is to tell you that I'm force sensitive. Force sensitive. <laughs> we have something in common. No, <laughs> I mean, is that what that is? Yeah. And no, they do. They play. They play it for humor twice. And yeah, it, that's kind of if they would have. Again, if you follow it up and you actually pay it off, I'm okay with it that sure. you play it off twice. And you're like, oh man. And then we never. You, find you, you didn't tell, but you didn't. Oh, but you didn't tell me. Oh, but then you finally do, and you know, they don't. There is so, some great. There's some funny stuff in the film, though. I, I do want to point that out. That especially, I think the Pasana thing. The, there's a lot of funny stuff on Pasana. Three PO is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking earlier. Like the first thing he does when uh, he's making, he just rambles on about the festival, which, see, that's me, that's perfect because he's just like, it's got all these candied sweets and the colorful things. And I'm just like, I'm bored. I don't care. And then they all look at him like they don't care. And then he turns around like they're not looking at him. He's brilliant. Yeah. And then when they fall down and he's like, well, he didn't say my name, but I'm okay. Yeah. Oh my I, gosh. I, I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> 3PO is, is golden in this movie. And, Unintended. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he he is truly funny, and uh, I never would have expected. He's my favorite character from this movie. Uh, I don't think he he sets a, a foot wrong the entire film. And three PO has never been one of my favorites. I mean, there's nothing wrong with him, uh, but he's genuinely funny in this movie. Yeah, and you know what? I I was the fact that you said genuinely funny is 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 funny to me because I think the fact that he is so genuine is what makes him funny because yeah. he is completely un, unaware of, of how silly he is. Yep. Right? He doesn't know that he, they're staring at him. He doesn't know that, yeah, we didn't ask about you because you're a robot. <laughs> you know, it's a little things like the Bob Frick thing. He's one of my favorite. He's one of my oldest friends. Like, yeah. that's funny because that is, it's true yeah. for him. Yeah. But we have this, you know, 40-year history with him. We're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it, it, a little ironic. Um, I will say, though, that uh, the plot around 3PO uh, makes me very upset. That the fact that he can read Sith, but he can't translate it yeah. is just so stupid. <laughs> Come on. I, I would be fine if he couldn't read it. Like, it's an ancient language. The old, re or, you know, the, yeah, the, the Republic, they didn't want anybody reading Sith, sure, right. whatever. Satanic panic of the Star Wars universe. But it's like, you can read it, but you, okay, you can't tell us, just enter the coordinates into the Nava computer and we'll go. Right. <laughs> you don't even have to say anything. <laughs> we won't tell anyone that you didn't we, say that. <laughs> I'm not sure how you do that because... <sighs> Yeah, I don't it's know. Dumb. I guess they could have they could have went and found someone else that could read it. Is that kind of where you're you're going? Because they use it as like he he has it stored in his brain. Mary is a historian. Have, I mean, go talk to him. <laughs> Something like that. You just didn't that that just that see that didn't bug me. I, I'm okay with that. And, and that's that, just, that might be a nitpick, but it feels very artificial. It feels very like in a video game where it's like you finally finish the quest and then they're like, right. oh, no, I can't let you move on to the next level until you do this other sure. little quest for me. And it just feels very inorganic. It's, it's very not, arbitrary. It's, it's, yeah. There's there's a lot of arbitrary things that happen in this film, which I yeah. will bring up. 
because that's that's something I wrote yeah. down in my notes is the ending is very arbitrary. But it, this is, again, why can't he do it? Hand-waving motion just because. Because we need because to sell Bobby Frick stuff. Yeah. And it's just, it's stupid. It is horrible. Yeah. I will say that one thing also uh, in this scene that I really liked is um, when Ray heals the, the, I think it's called a Vexus. I'm going to check that out here. The big worm. Yeah. The big, yeah. Uh, and what I thought was brilliant with that, yeah, Vexus, uh, is that, you know, this was released, I think we saw it on a Thursday night, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the Mandalorian had premiered the day before. Yeah, the night before. And so we'd seen Grogu heal Grief Karga. Uh, in case you know, in case we were going to have any problem with force healing, we had already established. I thought that was I thought that was a brilliant marketing move, where we'd be like, "Yep, I know what's going to happen here, and I'm okay with it because I've already seen it." There's also uh, some of the um, EU novels, I think Jedi Healer, uh, that take place in the Clone Wars, where there's yeah. a Jedi that uses force healing. So for me, that was never a problem. If it was for other people, I yeah. kind of get it because you don't see it, but it feels pretty. It feels like a light side force thing. I guess yeah, I and it's say. in Mort- it's in the Mortis arc too in Clone Wars. Yeah, uh, where the sister heals uh, Ahsoka, and, and that's a whole could have happened. Maybe it didn't happen. It was all a dream anyway. But we don't know. Um, but I just thought that I loved the fact that it was we had just seen it and then we saw it again, and mm-hmm. where, where it was enough of hey, that kind of works as foreshadowing, even though it's a different story. You know, it's part of the same story. That I've been like, I know what she's going to do. Right. I just saw that, so I thought that was clever. Sure. So they get they get the dagger, uh, and they head up. They, they the Vexus makes a hole. They go back out and they go look at Ochi's ship, and then you have uh, investigating Ochi's ship, and then you have this great music video starts. I, think, I guess is what's happening because all of a sudden the Knights of Ren are on a hilltop with a helicopter circling around. Yeah, uh, which is a great looking camera <laughs> camera shot, but it totally looks like an '80s music video. Yeah, it, uh, Abrams has has he does that several times throughout different movies of his. Yeah, um, and it does it does look cool. So that I'm, and that that's also something that we you know we kind of talked about with Last Jedi. That's not a cinematic move in the Star Wars lexicon of camera moves. It, it, it feels like a way more modern thing, right? Yeah, that's something that just does not bother me. Um, no, and it doesn't bother me either. I'm just yeah. like I watch it. It and is the theme song. It stands their, out. Yeah, their music is great too. I love their their light motif. Um, that you know they didn't have one in the first movie because they were in it, and then we finally get them. And we don't really again. We don't really they quite don't pay really them off. <laughs> <laughs> but they do look really cool with their music playing. So John Williams does some heavy lifting there, as does the cinematography. Uh, that's one of it is one of my favorite shots. It's very, it stands out, right? It, it is very striking. Um, and Chewbacca. then really after <laughs> Chewbacca, yeah, yeah, that's on Pisana. Yeah, I I loved that Chewie died. Um, and it's the same reason I love that Han died. It felt like a moment. It felt like a gut-wrenching, emotional moment. And so much in this movie didn't make me feel anything except anger and frustration and disappointment. Right. And this is like, oh, wow, that's sad. Like, you know, Chewie's a beloved character. And I was like, that's a pretty bold and brave thing to do. You know? And what I liked is it wasn't just you know, he didn't randomly die. I don't know if you ever read that, uh, the old EU novel where Chewie dies in the extended universe. 
Do you know how she I, dies? Yeah, he, the planet or like small moon got thrown at him. A moon gets thrown at him. I, like, I didn't what? read it, but I, it's notorious, so I've, I'm, I'm familiar. My point being that this should very much affect Ray, and it probably should have affected Kylo, although he doesn't seem to care too much. That's a good point. But it's like you grew up with Han and Leia, who are best friends with Chewie. Like Chewie should be like the uncle in the family, right? Mm-hmm. A beloved uncle. Yeah. And the emotion that he seems to be showing is like interest. Like, oh, I didn't know Ray could do that with the lightning. And it's like, that's not the right emotion. That, <laughs> that you know, that's no. like, you should be upset that Chewie died. Like, even though, because he clearly has issues with Han, right? But he does love Leia very much. And I feel like Chewie is that lovable person who would kind of be in between Han and Leia for Ben, right? Where it's like, if he can't go to his dad, he could go to Chewie and Chewie would understand that that kind of thing. Now right. I'm reading into that a little bit, but I just feel like you, you just don't care nothing. You know, I will say that until you said this, <laughs> that I had not even considered the fact that they had a relationship. Yeah. And that is wrong because is. We, we know they did because regardless of, you know, Han and Leia's relationship, which we know breaks, but it happens after Ben turns. We know that too. Right. But Chewie's with him all the time. Yeah. So you know that Chewie was in their life and he was in Ben's life. We yeah. know that. And so for that to be, and there's another scene, you know, later on, I'll, I will talk about when Wedge shows up. There's a similar thing where if you're paying attention like these character relationships should feel a certain way mm-hmm. and they don't. And that is a missed opportunity. And it's also, again, you're kind of breaking Star Wars or at least you're not. See, one thing I always like with movies and TV shows is you're rewarding me for paying attention and being invested. Yeah. And if I'm looking for the payoff because I'm in paying attention and I'm like, okay, I see what, and then it doesn't happen. I'm like, do you not care about this stuff as much as I do? Or are you just lazy or did you forget? I'm not sure which. Because it doesn't feel like it would be, you know, we could go this way, but we're going to choose not to. Mm-hmm. So. And I do feel like this is, I feel, a true nitpick. It feels odd to me that Ray ends up doing lightning. Like, it would make sense for the ship to, like, pull apart, pull in half because they're both pulling it, right? Yeah. And that, that nitpick, because it's like, okay, ultimately... Who cares? Uh, but I feel like that's one of their big setups for She's a Palpatine. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> well, and, and I will say a couple things about that. There's, the, it does, there's no reason why any Jedi couldn't <laughs> use lightning, right? No, there's not. If they wanted to. It's, yeah. I, the way I would always read it was it would be something. And we actually talked about this um, uh, when we had our end of the year discussions that it came up about. It being an ability that you'd have to learn. right? Because it was like, why doesn't Vader use it? Maybe he can, maybe he can't, maybe he never learned, whatever. But it doesn't seem like it would be something that's hereditary is, I guess, kind of where we're going. Yeah. Um, but I will say that when the lightning bolt happened, that in the sitting in the theater, my first thought was, oh, crap, she's a Palpatine. <laughs> so whether or not it's lazy screenwriting or not, that caused the reaction in me that they were probably hoping for. Mm-hmm. I will also say that the sound effect of the force lightning was the one thing that really stuck out when I was looking for sound in this one. 
that it is visceral. Like it is loud. It is it is a different sound uh, in this film than it is in either Return of the Jedi or uh, Attack of the Clones when Dooku uses it. It is way more powerful, way more violent, um, and it it just felt like it just ripped that. You know, it's just rampant destruction. But it did work on me. I guess like the, the emotional reaction. I had oh crap, she's Palpatine. I will say too about that scene that it it did really feel like a cheat that there was a second ship. Um, the first time I saw it in subsequent viewings, I've been able to see that there is another ship there and that it is a little bit of a red herring that you can see that they didn't cheat. Um, at least, you know, with the cinematography, they didn't cheat emotionally. That's a whole different ballgame, which we should probably talk about as well. So we've talked about this before, um, that really it's less of an issue that Chewie doesn't die. Um, as opposed to the issue that we find out very quickly that Chewie didn't die. Yes. Right? And I, but this, and again, I will say this, that it depends on your audience. Because when I watched the film the second time with my wife and my kids, my wife looked at me as soon as Chewie, quote unquote, died and said, did Chewie die? Because if he died, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> and I had to say, no, he's not dead. Oh, okay. And then she breathed the sigh of relief and could enjoy the rest of the movie. So I know there's at least... A subset of fans that would be. <laughs> I'd say you were spoiling it for her, but we know it. Like it gets spoiled for everyone. Like it's like two scenes later. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they could have let that. Like if you're gonna have that come back, then you could wait a long well, time. And, and, you could wait and, till Exegol and have it happen there. Yeah, that's what's stunning to me, and I I don't particularly like how Ray finds out that that Chewie's alive. It also feels very arbitrary that she suddenly senses him, and I was like, well. If she can sense Chewie on on Kylo's ship that's way up in the air on Kojima, right? Couldn't she sense that his life force was still there when she, when it's like the same distance on Pisana? You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, probably closer. Yeah. But then I was thinking like, okay, if I'm being generous, maybe she's very emotional. And she was told by Finn that Chewie was on the ship. So right. she just went with that. And then yeah. emotionally, it clouded her judge. But it's like, again... It just it doesn't quite, know, it doesn't quite, yeah, fit together. So speaking of Kojima, Kojima, uh, right? Oh, Kojini, Kojimi, yeah, Kojimi, yeah. Um, I I don't like Zori Bliss. I don't like Kojimi. I don't like. <laughs> I don't like Babu Freak. Oh, Matt, uh, whoa! Watch your tongue. <laughs> Bite your tongue. He's fine. He's he's a fun part of it. Yeah. But again, it's part of this. It, it starts adding up all these different characters and, and all these things that, like, ultimately, he's cute, but I don't care about. He's not really a character. He, he's a fun part of the, you know what I mean? I do. Where it's like, it's, it's not like he has depth to him. No. So I'm fine with him in there. He, he's fun, but it's like, I don't really care about him the way I care about the main characters. And that, I think a lot of movies have those kinds of things. So it's not like a problem. Um, but another piece of setup where um, it's revealed that uh, that Poe is a former spice runner. Now, mm -hmm. for those who aren't super well-versed in Star Wars, what is spice maybe in like in our world? Uh, it's, it's a drug. 
right? I mean, so he was a drug dealer. You, yeah, essentially. I mean, it's there's one of one of the big influences on Star Wars is, is Dune, and I'm going to talk about Dune every chance I get because it's amazing. Uh, and that you know, I don't. It's not, I don't think it's quite the. It's not a one to one comparison, but the spice in Dune is you know, it's it's a drug that has geriatric properties and can give you like ESP and some other stuff. I don't think that's what it is in the in the Star Wars universe, but it is a drug. And so, yeah, you have him as a as a drug dealer, which you know Finn should be a lot more upset. Not just a smuggler; he's a drug dealer, a drug runner, or at least a yeah, a, a spice runner and smuggler, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that about Dune that uh, the spice gives you ESPN. <laughs> no, not the network. Extra that, that, that was a, <laughs> that's a whole that other a, stuff. That was a Mean Girls reference. Oh, much okay. much better film. Okay, <laughs> than this one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so putting, putting aside, cause I think some people have kind of brought up the fact that, um, being a spice runner might not be the most, um, politically correct thing. Uh, just setting that aside, just talking about it narratively, it, it doesn't matter. Hmm. Like it, it doesn't come back up. Like there's a moment where he hot wires the thing on Pisana, right? Which is the quote unquote setup for this reveal, but then there's nothing that happens with this. It never he never uses that knowledge again. It doesn't affect any of the character's choices, and it doesn't affect any of the way that Finn or Ray see him. Like they, you know, they make little jokes about it, but it doesn't change how they think about him, right? They treat him exactly the same. I'm not a screenwriter. I don't write movies. But I just feel like this is, again, a, a missed opportunity for a payoff when Lando comes back. Why not have uh, Zori Bliss and and impose other, you know, old crew on this of the Spice Runners go out into the galaxy and recruit people and have them show the way through the, the red goop at the end to come save the day? It's like there's no payoff to the fact that he's a Spice Runner. It's just thrown in there. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point too about you know them not really looking at him any differently. You have that one line which is played for laughs, and it's, I think it's funny. Yeah. You know, you you were a stormtrooper, you were a scavenger. We could do this yeah. all day. I think, and that's funny. And I think you also have a little bit with J.J. Abrams. You have the now I brought another one of my favorite actors into the film. That's why you have Zoe Bliss. They have you know Carrie Russell from Felicity, which makes me angry that we didn't get Jennifer Garner somehow from Alias in this. Um, that aside, you know. With consequences, with his past coming back to haunt him, I think would have been a really interesting way to go. You could have mm-hmm. gone the way like we saw with Empire Strikes Back with Han and Lando, where, you know, Zori Bliss or somebody turns him over to turns them over to the First Order. That would have been an interesting way to go. Um, or even, you know, see like with Han and getting, you know, taken by Boba Fett back to Jabba the Hutt, where there's these consequences to these actions that your past catches up with you. That is not something we're interested in in this film, unfortunately. Well, and and I do want to clarify that I have no problem with uh, Carrie Russell, right? Uh, and the way that she portrays Zori Bliss. It's just the way that Zori Bliss is used in the film from a narrative perspective. Um, you know, there's that moment when, like you said, there, it's like, is she going to turn them in to the First Order? And then Ray beats them all up. And then Zuri Bliss looks up at Ray and says, not that it matters, but you're okay. What? <laughs> that is so stupid. Yeah. It, it's like she was... <laughs> she was about to turn him in. 
Yeah. She obviously has mixed feelings about Poe, you know, from the whole movie that we, we get that. Um, but at the moment, it's like she's ready to blow his brains out. She literally says that, you know, like, I want to see your brains all over the snow. That is a very aggressive line that you say to someone and not without reason. Right. And so it's like, what, what happened to make her change her mind? It's one thing if you see someone and you're like, ugh, this person again. It's another, you know, to go up and be like, I got a gun to your head. I want to see your brains all over the floor. Going from that, she gets hit with a stick and then she's friends. Makes no sense whatsoever. That's what I don't like about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and to pile on with that, you know, earlier he says, we got to talk to Baba Freak and he's like, he only works with, I forget what the, the term, right? He only works with those of us that are in this guild. The crew this, or something. The crew yeah. or what have you. Yeah, the crew, I think is what she says. And you're not that anymore. And then, you know, she gets knocked down. And then it's like, okay, now I'll take you to Babu Freak. And I don't get the sense that it's a, you know, if we don't, you know, do our job, then First Order is going to wipe all of us out. Well, I can't have that happen. You know, I'm going to make sure I help you because I don't right. want my planet to be destroyed. I don't see that. And no. even that would have been a way to go. Okay, yeah. you know, greater good, you know, enemy of There's my enemy is my problem. friend. Right, that kind of thing. And then when they finally get to Babu Freak, there's a line. Well, I should also say that I felt like there was some setup there between Zori Bliss and Poe. There was obviously some kind of personal vendetta that Zori had against Poe. We never find out what that is. We never find out what, like, how he left the crew, what he did to make them so mad at him. Like, None of that is revealed. None of that's paid off, you know, and that's kind of seated where it's like, oh, maybe this is important. Uh, but when they get to Babu Freak, um, they say something about R2's memory bank is famously unreliable, but it's not. <laughs> is no. it? No. He he's knows like everything. Only, <laughs> he's like the only character who's been in all the Star Wars films, right? Yeah. And essentially remembers everything. Am I wrong there? No, I think I, his memory you, ever gets wiped. No, he, he remembers everything. He knows the entire story. In fact, you know, there's, and I can't remember where I heard this, and I don't know how candid it is, but I, I want to think it was in a Lucas interview at some point that Star Wars is being told by R2-D2, right? He's narrating. He's telling it to somebody, and somebody's writing it down. He's telling, like, that's how it goes in the Journal of the Wills, right? It's that mm -hmm. he knows everything, and so he yeah. tells the whole entire story. And so, yeah, you do have... We talked about, you know, the fake out deaths that you have, well, we could just do this and have R2. And then you have to have somebody say, well, there's a, you know, small chance that R2 won't be able to do that. So there is risk. And wow. No, so there, you have to kind of accept that 3PO is gone. Right. And it, it, that is exactly it, where it's another fake death. Right. Uh, but I, it just, it made me a little mad because it's kind of the punchline or the payoff without any of the setup because R2 doesn't have a famously bad or unreliable memory. It's the exact opposite. And it's like, that would totally work if in previous movies that were like a running gag or something like R2 always forgets that might work a little better for 3PO because he has his memory wiped once in a while. Right. But it's just, again, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, the more I talk to you about this, the more I'm disliking the movie. 
Because <laughs> I just reminded me of another one. You know, when he has the when three PO has the thing right before they wipe his memory or you know do the thing, uh, he says he's taking one last look at his friends, and mm. I'm supposed to feel yeah emotional. I'm supposed to feel a sense of impending loss, and I don't care. Because A, I don't think he's going to be gone. And B, yeah. like, who are these people to him? Yeah. He hasn't known these people that long. He's known Ray for what? Two years? Finn? A couple of years? Like, if we're going in, you know, in universe chronology, he's known Poe for, I don't know, five? Not that long. But we've only known these characters for a couple of years. If he was saying this, you know, to Han, Luke, and Leia. Way and, more powerful. Right. It's just like there's a relationship there that I'm supposed to infer. And I think that's throughout this entire film, that most of these relationships, I'm supposed to infer how important they are. But you have told me, but you have not shown me. And I will say that I do feel emotional at that line because of William's score. But when you think about it from a narrative like connection perspective, I completely agree. We can absolutely agree that, that John Williams crushes it <laughs> always and in this film this film is no no exception to that that he does do so much of the heavy lifting on the emotions and he, he at least lets us know how we're supposed to feel even if it doesn't work yeah um the conversation between zori and uh, and poe is one of the few times in the film that it actually slows down and lets characters talk and have a conversation and i don't think it's the best as an example, you know, there's no talk about really their previous relationship. It's more of an exposition scene with some emotion tossed in, which is better than nothing. But um, the thing that gets me is is the magic skeleton key, <laughs> the yeah. the captain's medallion. Yep. Which again is just stupid. <laughs> Who would make that? <laughs> just this unlimited pass to go into any like I can understand that for someone like Snoke, maybe right, right. But it's like who's going to stop Snoke at a security checkpoint? Like no one's going to do that. They're they're not going to stop him. So he's going to walk right through. Some random captain can just land anywhere at any time for any reason. Yeah. No, that. And maybe maybe this is a nitpick. No, it's not. But it's just like. And then, and, okay, let's say that that exists, which is stupid, but it exists. Why would Zori give it to him? <laughs> yeah. Clearly, she's forgiven him for whatever he did that we don't know. But for what? I don't know. He Does he say sorry? I don't think he does. Uh, you know, he, he gives the story about how they were on crate, and I don't even know if he mentions it by name, but he says, you know, we let out a, a signal and, and no one answered. And I guess what I'm supposed to infer from that is that she feels bad about that and wants to help now, but I don't see evidence of that. But I just thought of a way we could make that one, the, the, the thing with the, the, the captain's medallion a little bit better, is if when they were approaching the Star Destroyer, if they would have had to have a conversation like we'd see in like Return of the Jedi and he would have said like, this is Captain MacGuffin reporting back. <laughs> That would have been that would have nailed it for me. You just say that, right? Just drop in the MacGuffin and I'm good. And I'm like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You, uh, I told you this was silly, and and go with it. But it's like even Alas. in Return of the Jedi, like it doesn't work. They exactly. have essentially the same thing, right? Yep. But it doesn't work because it's an older code. And yeah, he's like, oh, I'm about to let him through because it's old, but it checks out. And then Vader figures it out. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Vader lets them go. He it does right. not work. 
That's a right. good point. Yeah, now, this does though somehow. I do really like the line they they win by making you think you're alone. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful line. I think it's a beautiful thematic concept that although I think it's there in the film, it's not set up and not paid off properly. But I, I think that's what they were going for. And I do think that's a really cool theme that could have been. Um, you brought up the line about the distress call at Crate and how, like, nobody comes. That, I felt like, should have been a much bigger part of the movie because it's he's not wrong. Like, they are kind of alone. Right. <laughs> and so Zori is kind of wrong. Even though I love that line. It's like, no, they, they kind of are alone. They did ask for help and nobody came. Like, you you should have hope, but you also can't deny reality. Right. Reality is that no one showed up. Yeah. And so this is where it's like when Lando comes at the end of the film, there's no setup for that. It, mm -hmm. It's Dave's ex machina all the way. And I can't even remember if they actually say that Lando's going to go recruit people. I think they yeah, do. They do. Yeah, that's part of the thing after after Poe and, and, and Finn are established as generals and they're given the plan and they, they say Chewie and Lando are gonna go do this. But but what is how does Lando manage like where and did this that is, come from? Exactly. So you could have had it in that scene, which we'll get to, or this scene to say, now that you know, the legend of Luke Skywalker, you know, now that Luke showed up, somebody referenced that. Zori could have said, Yeah, but I heard that on crate, Luke Skywalker showed up and faced down the entire First Order. And how cool was that, right? Just reference, because we have to, that's the only thing that's different, mm -hmm. right? Before Luke shows up, nobody's answering. Yeah. After Luke shows up, everybody's answering. Yeah. And, and even if even that's not the reason that we've established in the canon, how cool would it have been if it was? Like, you made that so powerful. He's inspiring. He's the legend of Luke Skywalker, which we even see alluded to at the end of Last Jedi. Yeah, it's not paid say, off. It is canon. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It is canon because, like you said, it's alluded to at the end of Last Jedi. The little kids know the story. Right. The story's gone now. So something like that. Hey, we we showed up and we've answered Luke's call, or something. Something along those lines would have made that last scene so much more powerful for me. That we've been like, yes, we've acknowledged that there was a previous movie to this one. <laughs> so we're still on Kajimi. Uh, and I, I, well, I'm sorry, one last thing. I got to throw no, this in there. Go for I it. I love Red Eye 3PO. I, I, I just think it's really cool. That's it. Okay, cool. Yeah, it looks good in the trailer too. Um, so we have, you know, before we get off uh, Kajimi, we have, well, actually, no, that happens later now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> because we have the Knights of Ren come down and Kylo with his new mask. Um, yeah. which I can't figure out, or his Reforged mask, what the legit story reason for that is, other than it looks looks cool and will sell merchandise. It does look cool. And and I, I, I kind of wanted to bring that up. But he ends up taking the mask off like halfway through and then doesn't put it back on. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask you if there was a story reason. Well, you know, only thing I can come up with is, is that you have uh, him establishing, like he... Like region, not rejoins, but he, you know, he brings the Knights of Ren together and like kind of reestablishes his, you know, connection with them. I guess that's what we're supposed to get from that. You have that weird monkey creature, um, <laughs> making that takes me out of the film a little bit. Planet of the Apes. Yeah, he's got pointy <laughs> ears though, so it's different. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, right. 
So it re- he reforges it and kind of reestablishes that part of his identity. And again, we talked, you know, in the last Jedi um, episodes about how he's continually trying to figure out who he is. And mm-hmm. so I can go with the fact that he's still trying to figure out where his where his place is with all this, especially now that he's had this encounter with Palpatine, that he's maybe he's trying to reestablish this part of his character that he is, you know, his name is Kylo Ren. So like I can, you know, even if I'm not supreme leader now that I have this other rival to this position, I, I still have this. So maybe that's partly where that that's coming from. But then he does take it off. So I mean, we'll get to that, <laughs> I guess. Um, but he, they, they come down to Kajimi looking for um, our friends, our heroes, and they've gone, right? They're up on the, mm-hmm. they've used the captain's medallion. Uh, and then you have this lightsaber fight in two different locations, which looks extremely cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more comfortable with it now after your discussion about in the last Jedi about the rain. Like, I really do feel like it's, there's a logical extension of all this stuff. We also saw yeah. in, in Pasana that he grabbed the beads from her right. and that's how they were able to track them down. So it's not just out of nowhere. There is a logical through line mm-hmm. uh, for this to be happening. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's, you know, in, in speaking about the helmet too, I think your reading of it, I think works. You know, it's not like a major part of the film, the, the helmet. Um, but when I was first watching it, it felt like a slap towards Ryan Johnson. Not that I think Abrams did that intentionally, uh, but it felt like, no, I like the helmet. I mean, he's going to make it and put it on again because I like the helmet kind of deal. And um, but like right after this feels like a very logical progression from The Last Jedi with the drops of rain the small touch of the hands, like there are small jumps and this feels like the most natural and smoothest transition from the last Jedi into this film that there is in the entire movie. Yeah. So they did, you know, the filmmakers did watch the last Jedi. That's, that's <laughs> At least <once>. proof. <laughs> At least once they saw that and thought it looked cool. Uh, so they go back up, uh, the first or Kylo Ren and Knights of Ren go back up to the, uh, Star Destroyer. Um, we have some some funny stuff up in there with with three PO not knowing who he is. His first mm-hmm. starfight and or his first you know, laser battle and all that stuff is funny. Uh, you have again Poe and and Finn, and they get captured, right? And we have the what were you going to tell me and what were we going to tell Ray? And then they play that for for laughs. Again, he doesn't tell him, which that's a really silly situation because you really are going to die. Like, you literally don't have any more time. I wonder if they just didn't know. Like, the writers. <laughs> we don't have a we'll, we'll, we'll like we, we don't post. know yet. So, yeah. we're, <laughs> so we just won't, we just won't put anything. Yeah. And that would have been a good time to find out. Like, they could have just marched them in where Chewie was at and then, like, going to execute them all together. That would have been a cool time to find Chewie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Oh, hey, Chewie's here. Hey. But you know what? It's always darkest before the dawn. There you go. It's, it's like that. It's like that moment when uh, in Return of the Jedi, when like Han and Luke they they get back together. And like, oh well, yeah. we're gonna die, but hey, at least yeah. we're together. How we doing? Same as always. <laughs> exactly. That would have been great if they would have. Oh, if they'd have thrown that line in, <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Uh, and then you have. Uh, I don't make sure. I don't know if I'm doing this out of order, but it doesn't really matter. 
um, we get the reveal that Hux is the traitor, which I love. I, I think I hate that it so much. <laughs> I think it's great. I think that Go, they, please tell me. Okay, convert, well, I just think me. that uh, Donald, uh, Donald Gleason just he plays the weasel so well that I just you know his character is it's he's not playing the same character they did in Force Awakens. Let's be real. Um, he's I mean he's pretty close to what he was in Last Jedi, uh, but. I just love that he plays him like an entitled brat, which he kind of is. I mean, he's like way too young to be that high up in the first yeah. order. And we know if you get into, and this is one thing that I will say, like in the, uh, in the expanded material, in the canon material, like if you've not read the Phasma book, read the Phasma book because it's really good. Um, have you read that? I don't think you've read it. Uh, I've actually read most of it. Uh, yeah. So down for some reason, but I, I love, uh, uh, Delilah Dawson, the author. Right. She's really good. So I so have actually read a good portion of it. Got a lot of stuff. I mean, he's he's in it a little bit because it's a frame mm-hmm. story, right? Uh, his dad's in it a lot, which I have to picture Brendan Gleeson because that's kind of the way he's described and like he'd just be awesome to have him in Star Wars. Uh, and then you get the end and I don't want to spoil the end for you, um, but you get a little bit more about how he is in power. Right, he did not. He doesn't deserve it. Essentially, is is where I'm coming from. So, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that he's kind of plain general more than is a general. So, tell me why you hate it. So, I I will say that I I completely understand where you're coming from. I think uh, Dom Hall Gleason is is one of the best actors uh, in the film. I think he's fantastic, and he absolutely nails that role of of as you describe Weasel totally see where you're going with it completely agree with it two reasons i don't like that number one is he has that that line where he says you know i don't care if you win i need kylo ren to lose and that's kind of his motivation for turning rogue becoming a spy but it just it kind of again feels out of nowhere like there's no setup for for hux to be the spy at no point in The Last Jedi does it look like he's wavering to maybe become turncoat. I would totally buy him betraying uh, Kylo Ren if he saw the opportunity, right? But but there's, I think, a difference. Because we even see that in The Last Jedi where he, like, pulls a blaster out, like, right at the end. And it looks like he might be trying to kill Kylo, but then he notices him wake up and he, like, sticks it away, right? <laughs> it's awesome. So it's like, I could clearly see him doing that. I don't know if I see him helping the resistance. That, I think, is a bridge too far. Because I could see him trying to weasel his way into more power in the First Order. But he, like, to turn traitor like that, he's essentially burning down everything that he helped build. You know what I mean? Yeah. One thing I do think that's interesting about Hux, though, is that we do have, you know, we have a new character in this film, um, Allegiant General Pride. Uh, played by Richard E. Grant, who, you know, to me, that's another reason why I think that, you know, his betrayal makes sense, that he, I think he feels passed over. That between that and uh, Palpatine coming back, especially because we know that there's a connection uh, between Pride and, and Palpatine, that, Pal- that Pride has been one of Palpatine's guys before. So the way I read it is that he's feeling kind of cut out of it. There is, and and again, it's, it's the way you read the film, which is... It is right either way. There is, you know, there's an earlier scene where we talked about the mask, you know, uh, when Kylo comes back, he's wearing the mask and, you know, there's a, there's a conversation briefly in that conference room 
where, where Kylo calls him out for looking at it. You know, what are you thinking about my mask? No, oh, I, I think it looks great. Where there's a little bit of hesitancy in him. And you can kind of, that's the scene that I look at as this is the precursor to that, where I'm starting to see that he's starting to feel shut out a little bit. And so it would have been nice to maybe see some other things, but I guess they're trying to pull a, hey, here's another thing that you didn't know was coming. Here's another twist. I actually see what you're saying, and I actually do agree with you. I think I think that does make sense. I guess my frustration is that we don't see any of that. We don't see it, we don't see Hux being frustrated by being passed over. It's implied um with with general pride, but we we don't see Hux like doing anything about it really yeah. like he, he has a couple looks and you know but he doesn't say anything about pride and i was actually going to bring that up that was kind of my second point about why i didn't like hux being the spy is that after kylo turns who who are the bad guys who are the leaders of the bad guys after kylo turns to the light side palpatine and, and pride and that's it yeah and that's it yeah and there's a bunch of nameless, you know, <laughs> a bunch of random guys goons. that are uh, you know, peopling the super <laughs> so star like destroyers or whatever. Characters, but but then it's like, is Pride really a character? Not really. No. He, he he's kind of like a uh, an Admiral Veers or something, where it's like, okay, he's got a name, he's there, yeah. But it's not like he has like layers. He's not really a character, you know. And then Palpatine, we've already touched on some of the issues, you know, with Palpatine coming back but it's like those are those are the two bad guys like i find it way more interesting the question of whether ben was going to you know find redemption or not whether he was going to be the bad guy or you know become good or bad and so it it takes away some of because like and at the end when um the star destroyer with pride gets blown up right and and ultimately pride dies on the bridge of the ship I don't care. I, I don't even know who he is. Right. You know, it's like, I understand who Hux is. He's a weasel. He weaseled his way up through the ranks and he's a slimy, uh, no good person. And he'll take advantage, any advantage he can find. It's like, if he were in Pride's place, okay. Yeah, Hux is dead. I enjoy watching Hux, right? I know who he is. I don't know who Pride is. He's barely in the movie anyway. And so it's like, why, why make Hux the spy and then eliminate him? You're, you're just cutting out a character who we've grown to know and understand and replacing him because Pride basically just does Hux's role. It's not right. like he's different. Yeah. So what if you would have had him be revealed as the spy, get away with it, make it look like he's actually going to get away with it all the way. Sure. And then die in the way that Pride died. Yeah. How interesting would that have been? And it would have almost yeah. been kind of tragic Sad. in a sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't tease me with a good time and then. Not. <laughs> so I'm going to move this along a little bit. Uh, we get to uh, the hangar bay, where, which I think um, cinematography is great in that. I love that they have that um, bird's eye view shot where you get to see the surface of Kijimi outside. You can kind of get an idea how far up they are. I like that. I think that's great just for kind of establishing like the physics of the of the part where Ray jumps out the you know through the through the the, 
the window there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, she's still kind of in atmosphere. And so that kind of makes sense that she wouldn't go flying up or whatever. For me, that just physically just made sense. And I thought it was kind of a cool shot. We hadn't really seen uh, a shot very much like that before. Uh, but in that scene, we have the conversation where we say, where Kylo says, you're a Palpatine. And that drives you nuts. And it, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah. So that's all he has. It's dumb. <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. It, it feels like they were going for this big twist for this big reveal. And, and also I think thematically they were going for this. And we, you know, I, I kind of already said it where it's like, you know, your family doesn't determine who you are. It doesn't determine your destiny, which I think is fine. I just don't think it was executed well. I think if you're going to have Palpatine, and you're gonna have you're gonna have Palpatine return, and you're gonna have Ray be a Palpatine. You got to plant those seeds way earlier. That should have been in Force Awakens. I'm not just talking about Last Jedi. That that needed to be, yeah. you know, at the very beginning. This is we're talking about you know Palpatine's gun, Chekhov's gun. You got to plant that early, um, and, and that's what the story needs to be about. It feels like you're gonna have Palpatine return, and then the main character be her or his granddaughter. You know okay, let's do it, but but do it right. One movie was not enough time for that story to breathe and to have the emotional resonance that it needed. The fact that Palpatine has kids just strikes me as weird. Um, well, I can help you with that because like his, <laughs> his quote-unquote son is, is a failed clone. Okay. So that may be, might make so you a little bit a more... Girlfriend. No, it can make you a little bit more comfortable <laughs> on our family-free show that... He had a clone, and that's where the son came from. So, so he he, he had a son who's a clone. Yes, just you know, like Boba, then, like Boba Fett, same kind of deal. Sure, 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 sure. And then Palpatine sends his clone son off to boarding school. I think he just like banishes him out. Like he doesn't want to see him anymore. He's like because uh, the, the the way. I, <laughs> Again, I'm trying to remember where I've picked this up from. Somewhere in the, the supplement. Hogwarts where he meets his future <laughs> wife. Just, I think it's in the novelization. <laughs> You're actually. a Jedi, Harry. <laughs> he doesn't have he doesn't have force sensitivity. That's why he's a failed clone. Is that you have to be like to be the perfect you know sheave receptacle? Is you got to be able to use the force, and and this clone could not. And so he was like, "You're you're out of here." Why he doesn't kill him? I don't know. He he banishes him. I still like the boarding school. I think that should be a comic. (laughs) I mean, I think that would be great. Um, so he meets his future wife, and I we don't get names for any of them. Yeah, you know, maybe in the supplemental material, but in the movie, right? Not in the movie. And they have a child. Yep. Whatever. That's fine. Okay. Um, who's Ray? And then they are running from Palpatine because he's trying to kill them. Is that correct? Um, kind of, it's not, it's not super clear. I know they have the Ochia Bastoon guy going to try and find her. Right. Yeah. So I, whether they're trying to kill her or just bring her back to Sheev, I think that kind of changes back and forth a couple times. I think, isn't he like looking for Ray? Ochi is looking for Ray because yeah. Ray's force sensitive. Yeah. I think that's where, let's go with that. Which, I, okay. That makes sense. But then it's like they, they sold Ray to protect her, but how, how does that protect her? Couldn't couldn't have one of one of them, the mom, taken Ray and the dad, giving himself up. 
Well, presumably, vice versa. Yeah, and presumably the mom would have had family somewhere. Maybe <laughs> yeah. she's in the berry. I don't know. That would be awesome. Let's bring the berries back. It's yeah, it there's a lot of retconning going on. Let's be real. And and Oh, there's more. Ray's parents aren't nobody. They chose to be nobody. That's they what Kylo the, says. No, no, that's <laughs> stupid. And yet that's what he went with. But see, that's that's where it's stupid because it's just a retcon. Like yeah. it's just a blatant, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Forget so, what forget the last movie, you know. And I I don't like being dismissive and, you know, hypercritical like this, but this movie gets to me in a way that few movies do because I want to like it. I want to enjoy the movie and yeah. I can't, not in the way that I want to. But it's just when, when Kylo says, you know, I didn't lie to you. I never lied to you. It's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> you, you deceived her. Yeah. Which okay. is another form of lying. Like, yeah. let's be honest. Like, you, you know, you're playing semantics here, but. Well, it's, I mean, come on. It, it is Star Wars though, because what I told you was true from a certain point of view is the way that we hand waved, which we did. We hand waved the fact that, you know, Vader killed Luke's dad. So there is precedent for that. I just don't think it's not as effective. I don't think, but. I agree. Okay. So I'm going to move us, I'm going to move us back to, or now on to, rather, Kef Beer. Um, one thing that I noticed this time, so this is a moon in the Endor system. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I we got to go, go back. back. Oh, let's go yeah. back. Oh, that's fine. Okay. Because there's uh, if you had more, quick, go two quick it. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the first is another line that uh, Kylo has. Uh, you don't just have power, you have his power. Right. The implication being that she, Ray, is more powerful because she is a Palpatine. Yep. And to me, that is kind of antithetical to the theme of you are who you make, you know, you are. And I suppose you could kind of read it in the way where it's like, okay, she's more powerful because she's a Palpatine, but she, it's, you know, it's how she uses it. It, it just doesn't feel like it jives really well with with, you know, the whole choose your own destiny theme. And then a little bit of music. I actually think it's Luke's theme when the Falcon comes and blows everybody back and, and Ray jumps across into the Falcon. Um, I actually think we get Luke's theme. Like there. the main title? Yeah. Yeah. And then and then there's a little bit of the Favier Canto Bite theme music. Okay. I, I didn't catch that this time, but... Yeah, I'll I'm like almost it. certain, almost certain. And I think we also hear that little bit of Canto Bite's father music again in the final battle uh, when um, Finn is kind of making that decision to go. He gets that force feeling. It's like right before that. I'm not 100% sure. That'd be a cool connection. I think that though. might be true. Um, so I wonder if that's Williams trying to slide a little bit of Leitmotif in for the or for or for Finn. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Because that would have been his big, you know, character moments in, in Cantobite. So I will have to check that out on my next uh rewatch. And if you're listening to this and you and you catch that, please let us know because I would love to have that discussion. So we move on to Kef Beer, which is uh, another moon in the Endor system. Because of course the moon that the Ewoks live on is not Endor. 
It's the forest moon of Endor. Let's make sure we get that straight, nerds. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting was when they found out that they had to go to the Endor system that fin, Finn's line is uh, where the last war ended, which just watching the films makes total sense. But if you're paying attention to the supplement material or any of the novels, you know that Jakku is where the last war ended. <laughs> and so like a year after the Endor, which is super annoying because it sounds to me like you don't know your own source material or you don't care. And again, that's again, it's a nitpick, and this is going to sound like the nitpick podcast. But to me, that's kind of a big thing. Like you could have said, you could have just said, you know, where the second Death Star was destroyed, or like one of the final battles of the, or where it looked like the war turned, something along the lines of that, other than where the war ended. Because canonically, the war ends on Jakku. That's the end. There's otherwise they wouldn't have a giant battle, and you wouldn't have seen. Super Star Destroyers and Star Destroyers and X-Wings downed in The Force Awakens. Yeah. So, a little bit of a nitpick there. But if we really want to get into nitpicks, we have a scene right out of the Goonies where somehow they're standing on the shoreline and Ray puts up the dagger and finds the exact right place to point the dagger so they know exactly where to go find the Wayfinder. Your thoughts? So dumb. (laughs) So... You know, neither of us are math teachers. We have the Y and the Z axis, right? Yep. What, what's the, what's the axis that goes back and forth? Or yeah, that, that's the Z axis. Well, there's so the, the X yeah, the and Y X- axis, and the Z is is depth, right? Right. Okay. Sure. Yep. The dagger doesn't show the Z axis, so the Death Star is like the size of a small moon. Correct. Yeah. Sure. So how deep into the Death Star is this secret <laughs> Yeah. There's... And, and then you I mean, you already said it, but it's they're standing in the exact right spot. Because for that Goonie stuff to work, right, you have to be pretty much in the exact location. Yeah. There's this massive, massive sea storm thing going on. It's been a while since I did eighth grade life science but doesn't water like erode the earth like isn't that possible that it could have eroded the spot like there's just it's so just like it's been 30 years yeah so it's it's silly super silly it is then now that that is a nitpick because i know there are a lot of people that don't have an issue with that it's just it's just kind of adds to the pile of it it does yes so if it would have said in the throne room just say that that would have been amazing. Just say that. Or, or it's Star Wars. Have a little droid that will like guide you to it, right? Some, yeah. Um, there's some great, like the, the scene is beautiful though. Again, the cinematography in that scene I think is is great. They do an awesome job with scale and the waves look gigantic. They basically fill the screen and you know the the danger that Ray is going through is is palpable it feels real like it looks like she could die very easily i like it's it's a great scene the adrenaline's going really good um this film is beautiful it really is it's a good looking film i will say that um and i think it's interesting when she gets into uh the death star too and you have callbacks to force awakens right you mm-hmm. see like some of the stuff that she's been doing you know climbing through star destroyers when she was a scavenger that that's paid off and I think that's great that we have that consistent character building um, all the way through there. I think it's cool to see just like 
stormtrooper armor thrown over here and it looks trash. I think that's cool. That um, that works for me. I do think the movie is beautiful. I will agree with you there. And that's that's kind of, you know, going back to the very beginning. You know, it's it's really the story stuff that gets me with this film. It's not, it, it is beautiful. I think it's very well acted across the board. One thing is I believe the music that when Ray enters the Death Star is the same music at Vader's unmasking yep. at his redemption. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, so I'm glad you did. But I, but I don't know what that really means. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to be cynical about the movie at this point because as many times <laughs> as you're like, I need you to fill this, and I'm, I, just, I, I just need you to, but I don't, but I need you to. And it's when she beautiful gets, music. When she gets, I yeah, I love that too. That version of the Imperial March, which I will mention is is used a lot in this film. That's one thing I hadn't noticed on, on earlier watches mm-hmm. is how much it kind of replaces any kind of First Order music. It's very much like the Empire has always been here. The First Order mm-hmm. is, you know, the it's, an, it's yeah. the Empire. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an offshoot of that. And so you get up there and you into the throne room and it's, kind of ironic because that's not where that scene took place <laughs> yeah you know what i mean like yeah, that's I in do. the ha- that's in the hangar bay yeah. um down below um but i it makes me think immediately of that scene and so maybe that's the choice is it that that music sums up all of the emotion and all of the drama that happened in that room even if it didn't, even if that music wasn't originally played there, like I immediately get like, this is where the battle happened. This is where Luke fought Vader. This is where Vader came back to Anakin, becoming Anakin and threw Sheev down the shaft. That all of that kind of is bottled up in that song. So maybe that's, maybe that's the point. I totally buy that. My problem with it is that that's not what Ray's going through. <laughs> sure. And I think it, 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 would, it would be beautiful if that's, the, that were that were the case. Yeah, she's just walking around like <laughs> she's just taking a stroll. So have and Force think, Ghost Luke there. <laughs> sure, that would have been amazing. No, Force Ghost Anakin there just shows up and he's like, "I know where it's at." Yeah, I, yeah, I think that would be interesting to rewind just a little bit because yeah. uh, we meet Jana at this time. Sure, uh, and I actually really like Jana and Finn. Uh, as they have that little conversation between each other and they're like, oh, you were kidnapped too. You know, that kind of thing. And it's like this kind of shared bonding over what was a very traumatic experience. And you can see instantly how they would be like, oh, kind of a kindred spirit type thing. Sure. I think that's awesome. I think the movie needed way more of that. And so, you know, I want to say again that I have no problem with Jana. Um, I do think that this, she, one way or another, Rose lost screen time. Yeah. Right? And um, I think that it's just, it's unfortunate that that happened. But then it's like, okay, we have this interesting character, Jana. She has this stuff in common with with Finn. But again, this is another setup with no payoff. Because nothing really happens because they were stormtroopers together. There's this kind of bond that they make, which is great. I love it. But then the, there's no payoff, you know, where I I was really hoping it would be something like a Stormtrooper Rebellion, where it's like Janna and Finn would go in and they would go to the barracks and they would maybe see some people that they used to know. 
and they would try and convince them whether it worked or not. But, you know, something where it's like, we're going to use our past as a strength to, to move forward, something like that. Yeah. And I, I feel like that was just another missed opportunity where it's like, okay, you've kind of opened this really interesting box. You have these two characters who went through this, this trauma. They instantly kind of bond. Awesome. But then there's nothing that like comes from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know what makes me think there's a couple things with this. Um, you, you've heard things about the, the earlier, like the, the Colin Trevor draft, right? Yeah. You read some of the highlights of that. And mm-hmm. I know some of that was like, there was going to be like Stormtrooper Rebellion kind of happening on yeah. Coruscant, yeah. right? And so right. I wonder about some of this. And man, that would have been amazing. Would have loved, been. Would have loved to have seen some of those things. It makes me wonder how many of these things are kind of leftovers from earlier drafts. Yeah. And so it's like, you know what? I really like this idea and I'm going to just kind of plug it and play it without all of the things that went with that, right? All this, you know, the setup to that and the payoff from that. And it makes me wonder how much of this film really is kind of just cobbled together. Yeah. Because we have all these things where like, that's a great idea in a vacuum, but I don't quite get where I'm supposed to go with it. It it feels like they Frankensteined it. Yeah, a little bit. Um, One other thing with this though, the the line that I really like um, when they're talking about why they decided not to fire, uh, and she says, you know, it was because of an instinct. And then Finn Finn basically says, you know, it's the same thing that led me to Ray and whatever. It it it's the force. Mm. And I mean, I'm I'm inferring. I'm using that word a lot today, but I'm inferring that that's a confirmation that Finn is force sensitive, and that B very possibly Jana is in on some level. Or mm. I mean, there. I mean, everybody's force sensitive to to some degree, right? The but force maybe is like in, a Shiru level. Yeah, exactly. That the force said don't do this. And I was open enough to not do that. Mm-hmm. And that they're all in, but I mean, I'm not saying you have to have an entire like squadron of stormtroopers that are all suddenly force sensitive and you know, doing cool. that. It would be super <laughs> cool. But even if it was like you said, I mean, I love it. Like the cheer it example where it's like, I can't use it, but I heard it. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm doing this is because I know there's something bigger than me. Yeah. You know, I, I recognize that I was, you know, right from wrong. And if, to be able to pull, you know, the parallels of, you know, Jedi pulling, you know, infants, recruiting infants, and parallel that to, you know, the First Order kidnapping children, to be able to have that and be like, this is what we did, and like, we're going to get the same result. You know what I'm saying? That these kidnapped kids turn out to be Force-sensitive, I think would have been an interesting way to go. But again, oh, yeah. kind of cobbled together. Mm-hmm. But I, But I do look at that line as... Finn's definitely force sensitive. She might be. And that, again, might be the reason. And I know we talked about this in the last episode we did uh, on The Last Jedi that, you know, and Dan made the point. He thinks that, you know, Finn didn't fire because he had a conscience. But I think that there's, and I and that's, I think that's a totally fair reading, but I think that there is a little bit of instance here where you could say, yes, but also there may have been a little nudge from the force to say, don't do this. Yeah. That's kind of the way I read it. Um, a little beyond that, uh, the fight between Ray and um, Kylo on the Death Star. Um, I think it's fine for the most part. The one part that pulls me out is when 
Finn runs up and just yells, <laughs> Ray! Ray! And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what? And I, and I remember that distinctly from like the first time I watched it. I was like, what? And, and I was thinking maybe, you know, maybe that wasn't quite, maybe it was kind of like a lull in the fight. No, they're like right in the thick of it. Yep. And it's like, you're not going to go help her. <laughs> Doesn't she? She like force pushes him back too. Yeah, yeah. But it's no, like she's like she she's actively like parrying one of Kylo's blows. Yeah, like she's she's in the thick of the fight, yeah. and then he just yells, "Ray!" And it's like, "What are you doing? Don't distract her or do something. Help her." And that's <laughs> right. where I'm also thinking, like, again, it's a waste of both Finn and Jana, where it's like they both are basically just spectators. They might yeah. as well be sitting in the audience with us. They're not doing anything. Yeah. Exactly. You 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 made the point of hey, there's another there's another skimmer, and they yeah. use it. We don't see it. It happens off screen, but all of a sudden they're there, but they don't do anything no. at all. He yells at her, and she doesn't listen to him. So why? <laughs> I I don't know. I will say when that scene, like I was um, impressed at how much like Kylo is owning that fight. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even close. He is destroying her. Until Leia reaches out, which I think yeah. is a great moment. I think that's, um, you know, we knew we knew we knew Leia was going to die in this film, and I think that the way that they chose uh, to have her do that, whether that was JJ or Chris Terrio, and I'm surprised they even pulled out Chris Terrio's name at this point. Um, whoever chose, or if it was a joint decision to have that be the reason that she dies, I think was beautiful to have her, you know, sacrifice herself in one last attempt to save her son. Um, especially when we talked about earlier, you know, that she felt like, you know, her son was going to to die if she continued her her Jedi training. So it's kind of ironic that she uses the Force to save him. Um, had she not had the Jedi training, she would not have been able to do that. Which is just more evidence that it was kind of a stupid story thing for her to give up her Jedi path. I, I think I, I think yeah. it was a little clunky. But given the real-life circumstances, I think it was as good as it could have been. And I do think that it was overall pretty good um, with Leia attempting to reach out. So, Yeah, you're definitely painted into a corner. Yeah. And um, like I said, I felt it was a little choppy, but that's just – there's nothing you can do about it. Um, what do you think about uh, Kylo's redemption, his turn with, with Han? So I think that the, like this is one of the few things that we have been getting seeds throughout the movies for. I, I feel like this is not completely abrupt, like a lot of things are. I think that we, you know, in, in Last Jedi, we saw that he didn't want to kill his mom, that he hesitated. And so I think that it makes sense that he would be ripe for redemption at that moment and then seeing you know ray heals him too to see that you know because i think that's you can't leave that out either you know that she was going to kill him and then chooses to at that moment to heal him and so i think having both of those examples of sacrifice is the thing that that pushes him i think he was ripe for being pushed over and so as much as it is kind of a, yeah, we saw this with Anakin. Like, I don't want to necessarily do a repeat of that. I felt like it was a natural progression of his character, and I don't have a problem with it. What about you? 
Here it I, comes. I, I, I was I was actually okay with it. Okay. Uh, I, I, <laughs> see, set up, set up, set up. Pay there off. you go. And I love the Han stuff. I mean, yeah, I do. And I think very much that is a probably a choice that happened because Carrie Fisher couldn't have been doing that scene. But it worked pretty well, really. And to do it as a mirror from the scene that we saw in, in The Force Awakens, I thought yeah, that was really maybe the, the best callback yeah. of of the film of the of the film easily, maybe of the sequel trilogy. I think it's it's that powerful. And then I know that you had pointed out you know at the end where you know he just says, I know. Mm-hmm. It, it, with double meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, both being both meaning, like I love you, but also I know you're sorry and I forgive yeah. you. Yeah, and I and I think that's the single best line in the film. Uh, I think it's really interesting choice, the very intentional choice to make it very much mirror the bridge scene on or in Force Awakens. Yeah, I think it worked. Yeah, uh, that stuff clearly doesn't always work with me, but I think this time it did. I do think it's a little weird how like in story Han shows up as like a memory, not like a force ghost. Like it just, we haven't really seen that in star Wars before. Um, and I'm willing to just let it go because I think it's a beautiful moment and it works. I do think that the seeds are planted in the earlier films that he's really not sure. I would have, I would have enjoyed seeing more, but I think there was enough done that it, it, I think it also worked better this time around. It didn't work for me the first time, right? Um, but but it did this time. Yeah. See, I wonder. I wonder how much of that scene is is Chris Terrio because we have you know a very similar scene in uh, in Batman v Superman. Are you saying well, this is his Martha moment? No, no, not that moment. I'm talking about when when Clark it's goes better, up on the yeah. Clark goes up on the mountain and has a conversation with Kevin Costner yeah, with Jonathan Kent and Jonathan Kent is dead but it's really the conversation is all in his head mm. just to kind of reinforce no you need to go back and even though you know even though there's consequences for you just try to do the right thing and there's consequences you still have to do the right thing no matter what so i wonder i wonder first off if if those are both terrio if he's kind of cribbing from himself a little bit which i don't have a problem with i mean john williams does it all the time um and then I wonder if that's, you know, there's a connection there, at least mm-hmm. thematically, uh, with it not being a ghost or, you know, real, quote unquote, that it is all in the in the character's head. I, I will just say, for everyone's sake, uh, the reason that Craig brought up Chris Terrio is that I tend not to like some of the films that he is he has written, <laughs> like Batman versus Superman. Which we'll get to. I watched Look, some of that today. So. <laughs> like this film, uh, like Man of Steel. He didn't write uh, Suicide Squad, did he? He didn't write Man of Steel. He didn't. That's, no, that's Goyer Zach, and Zach uh, Snyder. That's that's Goyer and, and Nolan. Chris Nolan mm, was a co-writer. I don't like on. Goyer either. Okay, well we'll we'll get to Goyer later we, on. We, 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 oh, for sure. <laughs> so, all right. So, lightsaber battle happens. Uh, Han Solo shows up unexpectedly, which is amazing too. That they, you know, Harrison Ford, who for years was never going to be in another Star Wars movie is in uh, and no one saw that coming which I thought yeah. was that was brilliant too and it's got to be the the real life circumstances again sure absolutely of, of and Gary, you know the, Gary Fisher passing away yeah and J.J. Abrams had a pre-existing relationship with him I mean I don't know if mm-hmm. you've seen regarding Henry but that's uh, that's a really early J.J. Abrams script uh, and so he and J.J. has a 
cameo in that. I say JJ like he's my buddy. <laughs> um, so there is there's a relationship there too. So you can kind of see that all of that kind of that stuff would work together. And of course, you know Harrison Ford and, and Carrie Fisher were very close. So uh, we move on to Octo, and uh, there's some interesting things that happen there. We get Porgs again, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious what you think about Luke's line that a Jedi weapon deserves more respect. And if you feel, if you feel, Mr. Leader, that that is a dig at Ryan Johnson and Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder at the beginning it, of The Last Jedi. And that's where it's so hard because I don't want to judge someone's intentions when I don't really know, right? But it, it's, it is a little hard not to see some of that, right? And I, and I don't, giving Abrams the benefit of the doubt, I don't think... It just, it would seem odd. And Abrams isn't the only one working on it. I mean, you got Kathleen right. Kennedy, like there's other people. Uh, and and Kennedy was famous for absolutely loving The Last Jedi. Right. Um, so it's like, I think, I think the, the true interpretation is that Luke is just trying to teach a lesson. He is just trying to instruct. It, it, and it's, to me, it kind of mirrors Obi-Wan's line. Uh, Jedi's lightsaber is their life, right? A little different, obviously, but similar in meaning. But it is also a little hard not to read into some of this because there's several moments of it. Uh, one of the big contentious moments in The Last Jedi was when Obi-Wan, or not Obi-Wan, but uh, Luke tosses and flips very flippantly uh, the lightsaber away. Um, there's the holo maneuver, which got a lot of online ire towards. And there's a line in this movie talking about, why don't we just do holo maneuvers all the time? Mary says it. And it's just, <laughs> you know, that's dismissed as a one in a million chance. Right. Um, but then they end up doing it later in the film. The fact that Rose is completely cut out of the movie and she was also um, a contentious piece for some online fans. So it's just like, it's hard not to look at this and be like, wow, they, you know, the creative team who made Rise of Skywalker kind of reversed and retconned and, and did things very different than the creative team of The Last Jedi. And it feels weird being the sequel, right? And it feels weird it being so controversial, The Last Jedi, all this discussion about toxic fandom and all this stuff. And then this movie comes along and it kind of caters to some of some of the worst stuff. Okay, holo maneuver. If people don't like it for in-canon reasons, that's fine. It doesn't bother me, but whatever, right? In-canon universe stuff, we can argue about that. But uh, Kelly, Marie, Kelly Marie Tran got a lot of very hateful messages and stuff, you know? And that has nothing to do with just fandom, you know, fun, stupid arguments. Uh, she was basically bullied off of social media. And the fact that she's like barely in this movie, it feels like that's kind of a victory for the people who wanted killing Marie Tran off the movie. You know what I mean? And so, and I don't think Abrams or anyone on the movie ever intended, you know, to do that. But I think maybe perhaps unintentionally, that is something of the result, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And, you know, I, I didn't read it that way. And I think that sometimes there is, and it's, I mean, this is going to be kind of a funny thing to say, that 
it's really easy to get into the weeds and overanalyze things, which yeah. is kind of our whole thing. Our whole <laughs> shtick is overanalyzing things. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, it, it it's just a line. It you know, sometimes yeah. a cigar is just a cigar. It's yeah. it's just a thing. He does say, you know, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I never took that as an, you know, an indictment of the characterization from Last Jedi. I think that was Ryan Johnson's entire thing was that yeah. he was telling us that Luke was wrong when he said the Jedi have to end and I'm not going to train you. He figures it out by the end and does what exactly what they want him to do, just not in the way they anticipated, right? It's very much, you know, the same way that, well, the Jedi are jerks in the prequels and many chlorians are stupid and like, that's the point. You're supposed to look at that and go, these guys are jerks. They're arrogant. They're leaning on the science too much. They're not what they're supposed to be. It's okay to, you know, have a character be despicable or unlikable in some way. That doesn't mean it's wrong just because it's different from what you wanted it to be, especially when the character grows from that. And the character admitting that they were wrong earlier is not an indictment of the earlier writing. It just shows the progression of the character. Mm -hmm. So... I think, I mean, we knew Luke was going to be in this movie, um, which I thought was interesting that they just straight out told us like very early on in the production phase, Mark Hamill was in this film, but was like, of course he's going to be in this film because A, we know he can be a force ghost and we knew that, you know, Carrie Fisher had passed by this time. So it was like, we have to have Luke in this film, you know, to kind of fill that, that mentor role. We thought he'd do more of the mentor role. Um, but he is in here and he, he makes some interesting comments. We have the thing we talked about the flashback earlier. Gives Ray the old lightsaber of Leia, which I thought was cool that she had mm-hmm. a lightsaber. I would like more of that story in some yeah. form. Like, give me an animated series, even books, whatever. Give me some, uh, you know, I, I would like to see more of that. I think that was always something that I wanted to see was was Leia as a Jedi or training like that. Uh, and then you find out that, and this is a thing that it's very fuzzy, that, you know, Leia, he says something like, Leia knew that you were a Palpatine. Okay, how? Yeah, I caught that too. <laughs> and Luke knew. Right. So Luke knew in the last movie when he was still alive? How, how did he know these things? Yeah. <laughs> and again, I think that that's, it goes to their intended theme right. of you determine your own destiny, but it's so ham-fisted yeah. that it, it doesn't work for me. And I think you could fix that with you know very quick lines. We know Luke did a lot of investigating after Return of the Jedi. I mean, Lando sure. mentions it. It's it, there's a lot of stuff that's in the in 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 the canon, the supplement material, in video games and comics and stuff um, that they're going. At. He's looking for Jedi artifacts. It could have very easily, you know, and I came across, you know, I met your dad or something. You know, there could have been any number of ways where in a single line of dialogue, say, yeah, I knew your dad. I knew who you were mm-hmm. in that way. And it'd be like, okay, cool. I, you, don't have to, you don't have to explain why you didn't tell her. Of course you wouldn't tell her. That's fine. But, you know, I, I, I was looking at it now and I'm like, well, as a force ghost, he's connected to the force. He probably has access to all that knowledge. He could have told Leia. I mean, that's one way you could look at it too. Yeah. You, you could have gone that way. It's like, yeah, when I passed into the force, I found out. And then I was like, hey, sis, by the way, she's a Palpatine. <laughs> Are we good with this? You know, there's another way you could have gone, but you leave it so vague. And that's such a big thing that you want us to just jump on. So or go with. So that's my thoughts um, on that. Yeah. There's, there's a brief moment 
also in here where we see Palpatine send a Star Destroyer to um, to Zori Bliss's planet. Kajimi. Kajimi. And it turns out that there's like a little miniature Death Star cannon on the bottom yep. of the Star Destroyer. Yep. Tell me your thoughts on that, Craig. You know what? I was going to say I had a problem with it, but then I just remembered that there's miniature Death Star tech uh, on crate on that cannon thing that's going to try and blast open the door uh, on the old rebel base bunker. So um, it is, on the one hand, it's kind of silly because you've just, we talked about you <laughs> raising the stakes. So now there's not one Death Star, there's like a thousand Death Stars. It's super convenient. Um, yeah. It, it is a very easy hand wavy raising the stakes type of thing. It just, it burns me on the inside, <laughs> like in my soul. It just hurts. like it burned on the outside all the people of <laughs> Kajimi. It just raises so many questions. I do see your point about the miniaturized Death Star tech on, on Crate. I hadn't made that connection. I do kind of see, uh, see it's that. okay. They didn't either, and they could have very easily and said, hey, we took this cannon that we had on Crate and we duplicated it. Something but like it, that. it just raises so many questions. Like, who built them? Were they unionized? Were they <laughs> properly compensated? Like, what do you did, think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? Was okay. the Sith cultist union? You know, did they have vacations? I don't know. It, there's just it pulled me okay. out of the film, and then once yeah. I was out of the film, I started thinking. Right, and yep. nobody wants that. Least of all me. <laughs> So let's let's go ahead and go to Exegol because Oh no, I'm not done ranting. Oh really? No, okay. So feel feel free. <laughs> so there's a line, and I think it's earlier in the film when Pride says that the Exegol fleet would would increase their fleet size by ten thousand fold. So, you know, that that's probably thirty thousand ships, thirty thousand star destroyers, you know, roughly speaking. Sure, there's some exaggeration, but come on. Like, <laughs> seriously, it's like they, you know, when they rose out of the ground, and this was from earlier in the film, like, that makes no sense. Like, that they were buried under the ground. And then who built them and, and who's staffing them? And how do you find that many people out in the middle of nowhere? It, and then, yes. My, my biggest problem is, is the literal raising of the stakes, okay? Where it's just, it's not an emotional or a character problem because it's like, ultimately, we don't really care about uh, Zori Bliss's planet. Like, no. we might care about Zori Bliss, which I don't think she's enough of a character for that to really happen. But, you know, she is a character. We might care about her. Uh, I think everyone cared about Babu Frick. So it's like, okay, care about that, you know, but you're, you're just going to make 10,000 Death Stars. That's, that's the end of the trip. That, that's it. It's not an emotional, it's not a character driven problem. They're, they just have lots of guns. Yeah. Well, and you know how they, how they defeat the lots and lots of guns is they bring even more ships. Yeah. 
right? So then, well, you have 30,000 chips. Well, now we just showed up with 50,000 chips. And they literally, because that's how they win, right? I mean, yeah. Ultimately, they they make sure they have to stay in atmosphere. That's that's the whole thing with like taking out that radio tower. Well, and, It's and not you... destroying the ships. It's making sure they can't leave Exegol. They still have to destroy the ships. And they do somehow after Lando shows up with a cabillion people. Yeah. They're just people, but which I get it. I mean, that's kind of cool, I guess. But where have you people been this whole time? Yeah. Why is the first order? Why how, how how has the first order ever been a threat? Yeah. If there's all of you yeah. that have been there this whole time and you didn't even know about the Sith Eternal Fleet, but how how can these ships have miniature Death Stars attached <laughs> to their bottom, but not know up from down? <laughs> it's funky Exegol atmosphere. No, it's not. <laughs> should spend some they, more time on your navigational built, stuff. They built 10,000 Star Destroyers. And never once did an engineer think, we're going to have to teach the computer how to fly up. <laughs> Craig, that makes no sense. I, I don't have an answer for you on that. I know you don't. They okay. don't either. No, I know. Okay, it, so. It's, it's again the arbitrary conflict. Right? I will take the Return of the Jedi final battle every day. <laughs> over the final battle on Exegol. I mean, it's it's pretty, but there are no stakes. Are you ready to talk about the Palpatine stuff? Uh, yes. Let's talk about Sheev and his ever-changing plans. And and this is the thing, really, like I've, like I said earlier, that I'm pretty much okay with the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm not, I shouldn't say that. I'm good with the beginning of the film. I like to be, other than the light skipping thing, light speed skipping. Keep saying that wrong. Light speed skipping. Uh, that breaks Star Wars. That bugs me. Uh, but most of it, I'm good with. I'm like, eh, I don't really care about those characters as much as you probably want me to. I'm good. But then we get here, and we've already had the literal raising of the stakes, which I'm just kind of, okay, that's contrived. Okay. But then we have Palpatine making this thing about, with Rey, we wanted her to, to strike him down. And we have this thing about, you know, all of the Sith now live in him. And that, to me, just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is this, are, is this Highlander now? Like, <laughs> what, have, what have we done? Because if you, would have, if you would have said that, if that had been an established thing that we had seen in the earlier films, I would have been all on board for that because I love the concept of Highlander. And you just say, you know what, the master, I train him and he gets all my knowledge and then I cut him down and now I have his power too. That I would be okay with that. That works with the whole mythology, magic, all that stuff. Is, it's fine. But you don't do that in the ninth movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it, so my questions are, like, is this part of the way that I was able to transfer my essence from, you know, my original body into this clone body? Is that how I had to do that? Is it tied to that? I don't know. Because, yeah. you know, because the, then there's a whole other thing. So, there, so there's that. There's that part. I'm already like, okay, that's bizarre. And now we have this thing where I'm going to ask her to strike me down. And then I will now possess her if she does that. And there's this ritual. So it's not just I'm just going to like cut you. I mean, I'm not just going to cut you down with a lightsaber and then that automatically, you kill me automatically. I jump in your body. There has to be this ritual. And okay, we're, we're kind of getting to that. But we don't really understand who those people are there. Like I found out later, those are actually people. Those aren't like ghosts because it's really unclear. I'm assuming those are the people that built the starships, the Sith Eternal, right? That's the name. It's in the Star Wars book. You know, plugs for Dan's book. 
But now there's this concept of, you know, I want you to strike me down. And this is a thing that drives me nuts because this really messes with, again, Return of the Jedi. And I will go so far. And I, I liked the book. And Ray Carson seems like a very lovely woman. But I disagree vehemently with her take on Return of the Jedi and that shows up in the novelization because she implies that, and if, if there's a listener that disagrees with me, please correct me. That's, that's totally fine. But this is the way I read it, is that the offer, uh, the, the, the strike me down here, is inferred to be the same offer that he makes Luke, that he was intending to jump into Luke's body in Return of the Jedi. And I don't see that at all. I see that in Return of the Jedi is very much like, I'm going to get Luke as angry as I can. I'm going to turn him. And he has no intention of dying at all. He's not going anywhere. And that's why he's laughing when Vader pulls the lightsaber out. And he's like, yeah, no, you just, you know, I just pushed your buttons. That's all he and Vader have done to Luke the last, you know, in those yeah. second and third movies. So now you have this whole thing, like, you're going to, I'm going to possess you. Again, comes out of left field. I don't like it at all. Mm -hmm. What about you? So in my notes, I have written down, what's the difference between killing Palpatine in hate and killing him for like out of justice or something? Because like there's no distinction made in the earlier films or cartoons or books where it's like when, like when Obi-Wan kills uh, Grievous, right? Shit, right. I kill people all the time. Yep. And I know that there was like talk about like rituals or something, but it wasn't very clear that that was part of it. To me, I always saw it as, oh, strike me down in, in anger and then he's going to like possess Ray. Like I got that. But then it's like Ray ends up killing Palpatine. So like, what's the difference? You know what I mean? Yeah. So you could go like in story, there might be a difference, but thematically, morally, there's no difference. Well, I, right? I want to ask you, because what is, thematically at least, what is the reason why um, Luke wins, Luke survives from Return of the Jedi? Yeah, see, Luke Luke survives because he believes in his father. Luke goes to, you know, Luke goes to sacrifice himself. Luke fully intends to die in an effort to, to save his father. You know, he has a chance to kill Vader. And throws away the lightsaber. So thematically, we might say that it's like the familial love right. that Luke has for his father. Like yeah. you said, he fully believes that Anakin is still there. What is the thematic reason that Ray wins against Palpatine in this movie, Craig? Uh, that Sheev is too stupid to stop <laughs> electrocuting her or trying to. And that with two lightsabers... Because one lightsaber was not enough. Right. But with two lightsabers, I can block it better and explode you. It is and so It looks arbitrary. cool on screen. It's completely arbitrary. There is no reason. <laughs> no. And and it's like, they say that line, I am all the Sith. I am Iron Man. Oh, wait, no. I am all the <laughs> Jedi. I can't not hear that. <sighs> it's like, okay, it's whatever is a line. But thematically, it's like, Okay, so she wins because the Jedi are just stronger than the Sith, but I thought there was supposed to be like balance between the two, right? That the Sith, like the dark side and the light side, have to coexist in balance with one another. You can't have one without the other. 
The problem comes when they get too intense. It's too concentrated on all the dark stuff, right? Or too concentrated on all the light. You have the Jedi in the prequels who are the, they, they've become too concentrated. They're too legalistic. They're too prideful. They have, they've basically taken the light side and gone off the deep end. And yeah. the Sith are the exact same where death is a natural part of life, right? Yeah. And you can't have life without death. But and they've lost that, their connection to the living force. Exactly. You know, they're so they're trying like, to impose their will as opposed to listen. Right. So it's like you have that kind of philosophical side to it. and But that doesn't make any sense with I am all the Sith, I am all the Jedi, and then she <laughs> no. suddenly wins because no. of that, right? But that's kind of the implication. Yeah. The other part is is the giant lightning wave that he shoots up. Yeah. <sighs> so dumb. <laughs> Apparently, it's even like a trope, like in in cartoons and stuff, where it's just like the you know they shoot lightning or, or power off, and it's just like you know Dragon Ball Z shooting their power off, and it's just it doesn't make any sense. Like no, and we've already seen that scene in Return of the Jedi, and it was done much better. Well, and that, that so that's the other thing that really bothers me is this throne room scene. I think intentionally kind of mirrors the throne room scene of Return of the Jedi. And while the the um, the Han and, and Kylo scene work for me as kind of like a mirror of each other, this one does not. This one feels mm. like, oh, well, it rhymes, so it's good. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and he it even repeats some of the same lines where it's like, you know, your friends are out there. They're going to – it's like Palpatine, learn from your mistakes. This didn't yeah. work with Luke. Do something yeah, well, different. And he even calls it out. You know, he says, you know, Luke was saved by his father, you know, and the only family you have here is me. So it's mm -hmm. clearly like they want you to make the connection. Yeah. But they do it in such a clunky way. And like you'd said, you know, the the theme of Return of the Jedi, the ending is, you know, that love redeems. Exactly. It's that, you know, it's that, that myth of redemptive, of redemptive violence. Yeah. And now here, violence is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. And, and I, just, I, I just don't understand why you would go that way. I think you nailed it on the head is that I think it has flipped the script where love redeems is the theme of the end of Return of the Jedi. And the the myth of, of redemptive violence is quote unquote true in this story. And they don't work together. Yeah. <laughs> Both things can't be true, right? No. And so it's like, yeah, I think that, I think that's that's the best way I've heard anybody describe it, and I think that sums it up perfectly in just a couple of lines right there. Where, yeah, it, it's it's that myth of redemptive violence. That's it, and it, and it works. That's that's the message. Be violent, kids. <laughs> you know, I also have I also have issue with we talk about breaking Star Wars. I also have issue with. Hear, hearing the voices of all the, the dead Jedi, and I know we've played like it's it's and essentially it's 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 paid off from earlier when she's floating with the rocks and be with me, be with me, and all that. And now they're there with her, but and again, I I would consider myself an expert on Star Wars because I know a lot of stuff. There are definitely people that know a lot more than me, and I would love to hear someone explain to me how I'm wrong with this. Like I'm I'm being led. I'm not being sarcastic. So if there's a listener out there, please tell me how I'm wrong with this. But my understanding is the ability to retain your identity in the force is a very specific and not easy to come by ability. 
And so when I hear Mace Windu and Adi Gallia uh, and Kanan Jarrus, why? We don't know. And this is another thing, you know, like we hear Ahsoka Tano and, you know, Dave Filoni is, is, and he's cagey always, which is awesome, you know, has said that doesn't mean that she's dead. Okay. Okay. Then how the heck is she talking to these people? (laughs) Mm-hmm. So if she's not part of that, because I could see, because we don't know her whole story, I can see Ahsoka Tano being one of those characters that gets to the point Definitely. where Luke, where Luke and, and Obi Wan and Yoda and Qui Gon to an extent, you know, has gotten to where they join the Force. You know, they have that self sacrifice and, and do that. I can see her getting there, right? But I'm going to assume that those are the voices of all dead Jedi. But why are there some random Jedi other than to like? Oh, I recognize that voice. Mm-hmm. It is cool to hear Freddie Prince Jr. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's cool to hear Samuel L. Jackson. It's cool. But in universe, thematically, doesn't make sense. Yeah. And this is the, the, that you only give me, and again, I've been asking for Hayden Christensen Force Ghost <laughs> this whole time for three movies. And I get just a little bit from him. Mm-hmm. We, hear, we hear Luke and we hear Leia. The only part about that that I really kind of like is where, you know, he says, um, bring balance like I did, which to me is kind of the only acknowledgement of the fact that we did this story with Return of the Jedi. He did bring balance, whether or not you brought Palpatine back, which mm-hmm. feels in a lot of ways like you negated Anakin's sacrifice. It really feels like, and I, there's some memes floating around now too, which are, are hilarious. You're like, but Palpatine died, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know what about. I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it was such a powerful thing, but at least, you know, he dies and it's a tragedy and it's horrible. And, you know, I had students when we watched this that were like really emotional about that. I had one student yeah. in particular, it was like, when he says, tell your sister you were right, yeah. like that just really got her, that yeah. you know, this tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. And now you've made it like, yeah, but Palpatine didn't even die. It's like, wow. I mean, it just, it to me, and I love that movie so much that it just kind of took the power of that away. And so at least you have, I guess at least you have the, yes, we confirmed the fact that he did bring balance. So even if he didn't, you know, kill Palpatine, we can assume he did, I guess, destroy the He did the his Sith, job. Right? For the moment. Yeah, he, he yeah. Uh, I hear what you're saying. Um, you know, in, in universe, it, it, it didn't bother me. Um, as much as it did you, and you know that's fine. Um, for me, I think thematically it did though, and you kind of touched on it already. But you know that that "Be with Me" chant from the beginning comes back up, but it it never has any progression in the middle of the film. She never, because to me that that uh, speaks of connection through the Force or connection. And I talked about last episode. Um, how the force to me feels like connection, like empathy, connection with other other beings. Ray doesn't seem to have that problem though. She's plenty empathetic. Uh, she connects with the people around her. She doesn't seem, I mean, she connects with the force ghost Luke, right? So it doesn't seem like connection is this issue with her. But then suddenly, I you know, it looks like they were trying to do, oh, be with me, be with me they're not with me at the beginning and then be with me at the end and then they are with her. But what changed 
in Ray's ability to connect with others in the movie. I don't think anything she, did. She found out she was a Palpatine. Like, she that's did. literally the only thing that changed. Yeah. And therefore, she's more powerful, right. apparently. It, I know, which is, which is a, yeah, that's a sticky wicket. Um, I just wanted to say sticky wicket. <laughs> you know what? In a, I just feel like all the pieces are there if you wanted to do it, if you mm. wanted to dig into, because right. you also have this other MacGuffin of the ancient Jedi texts, yeah. right? Which is the way that she's able to use force healing. She, and the way she's able to, to heal the lightsaber crystal in, in Anakin's lightsaber, which that's in the supplemental material, but that's not addressed either. It's like, it just shows up that she has this lightsaber. Yeah. What? And I'm only able to look, I'm, I just realized like I found that out later by looking at like the visual dictionary. So you could have had a line about, you know what, I'm, I've read something in the, in the texts about connecting, you know, to have them be with me so that I can, you know, tap into their power. You know, again, there's, you know, there's stuff in earlier drafts of Return of the Jedi where, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi like becomes corporeal again and helps in the fight against Vader. Mm -hmm. So there is like in the lore, there's precedent for that. You know, it was never canon, but there is kind of an idea that you could have tapped into if you chose to go down that path and have that be with me and all the voices have that be, this is her powering up because otherwise I'm looking at like, so essentially what you're just saying is, is that Ray is the ultimate Jedi and everybody else is a tier below. And that I don't like, like that bugs me. I'm like, she's nice. I think Ray's a great character, but I mean, she's not the chosen one. <laughs> I, I, right? Yeah, I, you did that with Anakin, but now it's like, now with this other person, and because she's a Palpatine and she's facing grandpa, she's all powerful. Yeah. Because she said she's all the Jedi. What? It, it doesn't really make much sense. There's also, um, perhaps understandably, this fight had a big toll on Ray, and we have another fake out death where Ray dies, <laughs> and then once Ray dies, uh, Ben, who had been tossed down a bottomless pit just as uh, Palpatine had, survives somehow, climbs back up, comes over, force heals. Well, I shouldn't say heals, brings Ray back from the dead, and then they kiss, and then Ben dies. <laughs> so that's he, I think that's like three fake out deaths right because earlier Ben gets thrown down the, the cliff dying okay so quote unquote we do the, you didn't do the count so uh <laughs> well Pal, Palpatine's the he's gotta be number one he's a fake out death I'm gonna count him <laughs> so Palpatine Chewie 3PO, 3PO yeah Ben Ray is five but then yeah yeah. But then it's also like Ray dies. Yeah. The force power isn't bringing people back from the dead. It's healing them. But the movie makes it pretty clear, in my opinion, that she's dead. Yeah. She dies. So. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't just, know. Because reasons. You know, it really sounds like we hate this movie. <laughs> okay. And nobody are... hates Star Wars like a Star Wars fan. Because I like this movie. Like, I'll watch it again. I bought it in 4K. I, you know, so did I. I. I yeah. 
<laughs> I'll watch it again. And I think that I would enjoy the movie more if there was only like the three of them. Like if it was just seven, eight, nine with no other context, I think it would be a better film. <laughs> He's like, no. no. <laughs> um, so we, we have almost talked about this movie for as long as the runtime of the movie. I, I know. It's so, almost like a commentary. So, Good memory. <laughs> um, so I, there's a last couple things. And if you don't mind, we can just kind of uh, wrap those up real quick. And then. Yeah. Um, so last couple things. Um, cause we kind of talked about the end. There's a couple moments at the end that are these kind of throwback as in like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. When Ray flies up in her X-wing, uh, from Exegol, I think it's Poe says, uh, red, red five, or maybe it's not Poe, but someone says, oh, it's red five. Red five is alive or something, but it's like Ray was never red five. No, we know red five from a new hope right from Luke's yep. X-Wing. So it's like, that's just a callback. That's just nostalgia. Um, and then Chewie getting his medal at the end. I, you yeah. may like it. No, I see. I don't like it. But, this is what I, this is what I dislike about it is that it's not explained well enough that what it is, is that Leia is clutching Han's medal. Yes. And that, Maz Kanata, who's in this film for some reason, again, she's stealing, stealing time from Rose Tico, um, is he, Chewie's getting Han's medal. So he's getting that last connection to Han mm-hmm. is what could have been explained and would have made that moment powerful. Yeah. But it doesn't look like that. It looks like, hey, you know what? Chewie didn't get a medal in A New Hope at the end. So here's so a medal for Chewie. Later, we're gonna. That's fix it. that's what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? And there's another thing that happened with there that, and it's unfortunate that I just know stuff and I can't turn it off sometimes in my brain. As I look at you know, he finds out Chewie finds out that Leia died, and you know crumples to the ground, and I don't feel it because I know that's not Peter Mayhew in the costume. Mm-hmm. And I think Jonas does a great job as Chewie. I think he's fantastic as Chewie. I love him in Solo. I love him in everything that he's done. But he's not Peter Mayhew. Yeah. And so as much as that's Chewie, it's not the same. And I and I totally understand that. I think that's something that we can't hold against the movie. Yeah. Um, but Agreed. I get that. I get that. Last thing, you know, there's, there's a couple other points but really the last kind of big one is is the the true end um ray on tatooine yep bearing the lightsabers and ray skywalker what are your thoughts if okay i'm i've kind of come to an agreement on or, or or i'm okay with it at this point because i look at it as like within the christian religion that you take the name that that becomes your identity I can see that. Is it earned is a separate question. I see your point about, you know, just Ray uh, being the way to end that. My biggest problem with that scene, though, is that you have Luke and you have Leia. Why is there no Ben? And why is there no Anakin Skywalker? Because, again, I want the Anakin Skywalker. But, like, thematically, that makes so much more sense. Why on earth is Ben not there? I think it's a, is, is ridiculous. Like, we just saw him. He's the reason that she's alive. Does Ben's body disappear? It does. I don't. I didn't remember that. So. Yeah. So he's joined the force, 
And you know the turnaround time on that stuff's pretty quick because we saw Anakin <laughs> show up in Return of the Jedi, you know, pretty soon after after he died. So I think that would have made it this and sounds it sounds kind of silly to say it this way, but I think having those four there to have the Skywalker clan there to acknowledge her doing that, I think would have made more sense. And I think that would have worked for me better, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But just being it's Luke and Leia and they were my masters and so I'm taking their thing, you know, but it's like you're missing, there's there's a, there's a, and it didn't take much to do that. I mean, you already had Adam Driver in the film. Why is he not in that last scene? And let him say something for crying out loud. Yeah. After, after well, he see, turns. That's, that's another point going back. Is that you could have just said, it's okay. <laughs> that would have been awesome. And she'd just say, Skywalker. And you're like, okay. He just I, said it was okay. I think it's insane that that Ben doesn't have any lines in the film after his his turn. Nope. I don't I don't think he says a single thing, does he? He says ouch. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. So this is where I will plug I will plug Ian Desher's um, Rise of Skywalker Shakespearean adaption. The, the, I think it's called The Merry Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, so in, in Ian Desher's book, he gives Ben Solo dialogue and, you know, kind of rectifies that. So, but again, it's, to me, it's insane because it's like he is one of the main characters. He went through this huge change and he, he doesn't talk about it with anybody. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing. And that's just, it's insane to me. Um, but, you know, we're trying to kind of wrap this up. Ray on Tatooine, uh, you know, the the thing about being just Ray, I think is more thematically resonant with the idea of choosing your own destiny. And so Ray Skywalker, I personally don't feel like it's really earned. I, I don't know if it really makes sense. Um, I think just, you know, if the old lady had asked her and she had said, I'm just Ray. You know, that shows that Ray is comfortable with herself, with her own destiny. She doesn't have to be a Palpatine. She doesn't have to be a Skywalker either. She's just Ray. And just Ray is enough. And that to me is so beautiful. I don't know why she buries lightsabers on Tatooine. Um, Leia was enslaved on Tatooine. Uh, Luke wanted nothing more than to get away from Tatooine and then saw his aunt and uncle who were really his only family uh, who ever really cared for him uh, completely vaporized on that planet. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the place that... that and again, really <laughs> this is why you need to have Hayden Christensen in the movie because <laughs> it's the origin of the Skywalkers. And I, I mean, I'm saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I really do mean it that if you have him there and you have him just kind of nod that like we're bringing the Skywalkers to a close. And then it is kind of, yeah, but see then, I don't know if we like about the taking the name but if like if it's the end of the skywalkers right i'm burying the skywalkers but i don't know i think that there's pick pick one i think i think it's a great point of okay it's the end of the skywalkers and this is where the journey began this is where it ends but then it doesn't really end because ray's now skywalker yeah so palpatine eliminated all the skywalkers (laughs) and the solos and like his heir took their name 
I didn't make that up. Somebody else said that said that first. But it is there is an irony there. Yeah. Uh, that he destroyed both those families and now his heir is taking on the mantle. So, sure. Yeah, it, it feels a little bit like fan service, a little bit like, hey, you know what? She wasn't Luke's daughter, like a lot of you thought. And like that was one of my theories after Force Awakens. But now she kind of is. So we've kind of, you know, fan service to that thing. So. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. 